And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host, as always, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, on his ninth cup of coffee today because he had to pull the morning shift on this Labor Day. Get it, kids? You work on Labor Day. It's a crazy concept. We have us an awesome show for this Monday midday edition of TKS. We have a guest waiting in the wings. She'll be a, one of the best. She's one of the best guests we actually had on this show. Haven't had her on in a while. But we'll get to her here in just a minute. We got Thomas Biondo, the captain of the Five Timers Club, coming up here in just less than an hour's time to talk about the Olympics and the Atlantic Division because I think we should be done talking about the Central, how the last few weeks have gone. But we'll get to him later on as well. We'll also have my lovely reaction to the Women's World Championships wrapping up last week as well. But we must thank you all for watching us here on The Kuehl Show today and also the replay if you're watching this later on on 12 Ounce Sports. We had to make things work because the Labor Day schedule kind of got a little wonky. And next Monday as well, because I'm going to go see Michael Buble next Monday. The wife and I are going to go see Michael Buble, so I can't do a show then because I don't know how much Buble would appreciate it if I was doing a live stream up in the bowels of Van Andel Arena. Anyways, so that's why we'll have a couple midweek shows. We did that earlier on during trade deadline season. It's okay. You guys love it. You guys post about it. Or at least I think you guys post about it. If you don't, I've never tagged in it, so I don't know. Guys, any more coffee? That's all I need. Um, let's get to it here. Here on this special TKS brought to you by Secretary Leather Company. Hashtag crafted from the crease. Check out Collection 9, guys. I know we're a little bit of ways away from Christmas, but it's not a bad idea to start ordering stuff now on secretaryleather.com. Wallets, bathroom bags, keychains, coasters, pillows, T-shirts. Good stuff all from secretaryleather.com. Now with that, let's bring in our first guest today. She is... One of the amazing minds behind Access Hockey MI, making, I believe, a fourth appearance on the Kula Show. It's been been a minute, but she is the best in covering Red Wings prospects, dare I say, best covering the USHL as well, covers the Lumberjacks, and it's just a lo- just loves hockey, loves watching the Griffins. Had a weird year last year due to the pandemic and whatnot, but then again, we all have. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Rachel Anderson. Rachel, how are we doing today? doing very well that was quite the intro thank you flattered it is i well okay i think i I, we talked about this i set the bar way too high with the very first time i do and rach you and janae on i went all out had the goal horn this course this was the podcast day so i went back and edited it made it all sound fancy and stuff and i'm like i'm never gonna be able to replicate that i said it way (laughs) too high you just keep repeating that intro. Just just find it again. Just keep repeating it over and over. And every single time I'm on, it'll be good. Well, we didn't, let's say that's why it's a bummer we can't get Janae on because the two peas in a pot is so wonderful. <laughs> for those, we'll get the other pea next time. <laughs> for, for those that don't know, Rachel and Janae Anderson, they are sisters and they do a great job. Janae takes amazing photos. Rachel writes amazing articles. They're both on accesshockeymi.com, guys. Check it mm-hmm. out because... If you want to know the best about your favorite Red Wings prospects or your least favorite, depending on how you view things, <laughs> go on there and check them out. Rachel, first of all, how have you been doing? I've been very good and very good. It's been a bizarre off season, that's for sure. I'm ready to get back into a normal season, fingers crossed. We'll see. What is normal? Is that that's, Dude, I don't I don't know. Janae and I keep calling last year the silly season because it's just there's really no making sense of any of it. So every video cast we just reference it as a silly season because I think everyone's just kind of over it. So I'm um, hopefully things actually look like they used to. 
this coming season. Me too, because, well, la- I went to one game last season, one Griffins game oh, last year, which, well, hey, it, it literally, it was, we went, and it was crazy enough, it was on Cinco de Mayo. No. Yeah. Yeah, Cinco de Mayo. And we literally went because, and we paid a crap ton of money for tickets because, like, yep. we have to keep the streak alive. I... <laughs> And the only member of my family now, because my dad wasn't able to go, my mom didn't go, uh, my aunt didn't go. I'm the only member of my family to have gone to a Griffins game every single season because my brother. There's really, it's there's something. no other yeah. reason, way to celebrate, honestly. Sinking my out. Well, well, we sell it. We went to uh, we went to Luna there on Ionia first, yeah. and um, the wife and I, my brother and his girlfriend. So my brother, of course, was born in '98, so he doesn't have that distinction. He's been going to games since then, but. We had a few margaritas before we went into that arena. And uh, listen, we, I think we may have beaten the the piped-in crowd noise that they had there at the van. I, I think <laughs> we made that our goal because we heard it. And, you know, it's yeah. – did, did you go to a lot of games last year, Rach? Yes. I went to – I want to say we went to every single home game we possibly could. And we had – I mean, it was a bizarre season. I think we had a grand total of, what, 26 games for the yeah. season. It was ridiculous. So, I mean, we went to every one that we could. But even with – I know when they started bringing fans back and they were doing that piped-in noise thing, the fans were always louder, which was great because yeah. the piped-in noise – I mean, you can tell it's it's just the atmospheric kind of stuff. It's just – it's not legit. So when you get the fans screaming in it, it's it helps the guys out a ton. I mean, they all said after, like, in post-games and stuff, like actually hearing people made all the difference in in the energy on the ice. Yeah, and it's funny because people like I remember when they first you first heard on TV hearing piped in noise like in the NHL yeah. bars. Everyone's like, "Oh, this is weird." It's weirder when you're at the game because you're like, "Yeah." Like I was ready for echoes because I mean, you and I we've both been in the van yeah. when it's morning skate when it's just empty. It's a yep. little eerie. I do get that, but yeah. having just fake noise is like. We can. It's almost we, more eerie. Yeah, it's like you're like trying too hard. It sounds like there's yeah. ghosts behind you making noise. It's yeah. not. It's not right. There's actually a couple times because I'll listen to the uh, opposing team's broadcast in one ear while I'm watching the game because I like to hear their input at the same time. So I'll have like I know Kayser didn't broadcast at all last season, which was sad. But yeah. so I'd have the the away team in one ear, and then I would hear everything in the van in the other ear, and it was super creepy because I always wanted to tell people to shush because you just hear the kind of it sounded like just waves and wind. It didn't sound like people. So when the fans actually got into it, I really appreciated that because it sounded way less like haunted house style. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's a bummer because Bob Cater, for those that don't know, he had a had a yeah. heart condition that dates back a couple of years, but he had a flare-up right before the season. So the Griffins had Larry Figurski calling the games. Who mm-hmm. It's funny, my I think my wife's always said that she, she, one of her teachers growing up was Figurski's wife, I guess. So yeah. that was, or he went to school with the Figurski's kid. Granville apparently <laughs> is a very tight-knit community that I don't know about. Um, yeah. But so, I mean, because as far as I know, he's coming back this year, which is going to be good to hear. I sure hope so. I mean, we, we miss him a lot. And I know he was he didn't like having the year off. That's for sure. But he, oh, he needed it. No, so. knowing knowing him. Yeah. I mean, especially in a weird year too, like taking half a yeah. year off. It's OK. Getting back for the full yep. swing of things is what we need. Let's yeah. get to the swing of things for this Griffins or for the Griffins. And I guess the Wings prospects in general. Mm-hmm. The first big question is how depleted are the Griffins going to be without Joe Hicketts? <laughs> That's the big question. Oh, Rachel froze. We lost Rachel. It's over, guys. We lost her. I sw- Wait, I heard a click. Oh, and there. Are you there, Rach? There we are. All right, there we go. I am there. Sorry That's about a- that. It's all good. 
I blame X- I blame Xfinity for that one. Sorry, guys. No, I can't blame Xfinity. I use Xfinity too. You can't. Don't blame them. <laughs> I, even though we've had so many issues on the show before that I could, but yeah. we, anyways. Um, yeah. Sponsor the show. Get better internet connection. We should be good. <laughs> oh, that's easy enough. I'll, I'll go down there and be like, hey, I need a sponsor for my show because I use your Wi-Fi. Here, can you, can you, you split the cost? <laughs> No, so I don't know if you heard my question there, Rachel, but I'm like, how important it was guy like Joe Hicketts on this team that now he's gone. How am I supposed to go to a Griffins game now without yelling at anybody? You had to bring it up. I, I just, had to. <laughs> it's, I'm a little sore about that still. He is, I, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for him and Turgeon, both getting yep. traded to the wild. Uh, I mean, our power play, I think, is going to suffer right up front. Uh, power play and, and penalty kill for sure. He was, I mean, part of this team, he actually got signed out of the prospects tournament, which I'm, we're going to talk about later. But he got invited to that and signed out of that. And just for the last five, six seasons, he's been with us. He's been an absolute beast on the special teams. Um in one, I remember one 2016-17 final game, he actually saved the game instead of Caro because I don't know where Caro was, but he wasn't in the net, and Joe was there. So, yeah. I mean, he's the, his character on the team, his leadership has been impeccable, so it's going to be a huge loss, um, but it's kind of bittersweet. It's going to open up a lot of opportunity for guys like, um, I know Seth Barton, um, he's going to be making a play for it, and then McIsaac hopefully is going to get some more ice time in, in, in the D slot, so... It's, it's where the team needs to go, but I am sad to see them go, that's for sure. Yeah, because we, we talked about it before. Hicketts was at that point where he was realizing slowly that he was not going to make it to the yeah. NHL. He was going to be the veteran in the room, which which is good to have for the young kids. Mm-hmm. But with that said, you know, i.e. guys like, you know, Jeff Hogan back in the day, Nathan Pace as well a few years back, you know, eventually they're going to have to move on and go in a different right. direction. That's what they did with Hicketts and Turgeon but I I do like the idea that McIsaac's going to get more because coming out of Halifax I'm like this guy has something he 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 needs to show it it's just right it's you know when you have so many dare I say cooks in the kitchen it's kind of hard to really stand out so I'm wondering how how he's going to progress because I I don't know if like if I don't want him to be like a Hicketts where he plays so much in the A that he doesn't, he kind of gets accustomed to that. So he never really gets right. a shot in the NHL. Do you think that Iserman sees McIsaac, gives him a few games in Grand Rapids, and then maybe is that first guy that gets a call up this season for Detroit? Um, I don't know if McIsaac would be the first one that he would call on for that. I think what I saw from him last season, and of course, you know, he had battled with the shoulder injuries and things right. like that. He's had reconstructive surgery on both shoulders. So that you know, admittedly for him is something always in the back of his mind. He's having, having to mentally work through, though physically he's in a good spot. I think that kind of showed a little bit last season with his intro into the pro in the pro lifestyle and the demand of it. He played well. I wasn't wowed by him yet, but I think given a full season after this full season, I think he'll get a, a shot at the NHL just for a couple games. I don't think it's going to be right away, um, probably preseason, but I think honestly between him and Sabrango, I think Sabrango, if he returns, will probably be the one to get the look first because I thought he adapted very quickly and very well last season. Between the two of them, I thought he offered a little bit more um, a little bit more of the edge that Iserman is looking for for the decor going forward. It's not to say that McIsaac doesn't have it. I just think he needs a little bit more time before he gets that look. Yeah, because he, he was, I mean, and that's the one thing about the defensive prospects that I see come up through. The ones that are always highly touted are the ones that score 70 80 points nowadays especially in the quebec league and we learned with anthony mantha you can score as many as you want in the quebec league doesn't mean you're going to quickly transfer into the pro level because anthony mantha was on the fourth line for years in grand rapids 
Yeah. Um, but you know, that could be something in, that he can work on and, it, and it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. The big defensive prospect though, in Detroit, the one that everyone was hooping and hollering about, why is he not in gra- like for, for people that I don't want to say, don't understand hockey, but that didn't, <laughs> I, I, I hate to say that people that were don't understand it fully. Cause there were some people say, well, why isn't Mo Sider here in Grand Rapids? He can come back. He can play right. over here. Why is he over there in Europe messing around wrecking literally every single bean <laughs> that he touched? Well, cause kids, it's called development. And yep. cause he was going to get an honest playing time. And it seemed like over there in uh, Sweden, they really didn't care too much about <laughs> protocols. So they just kind of let everyone play as much as they wanted to, um, which ended up hurting some of the world junior yeah. players, but that's neither here nor there. And they, they kind of realized he was going to be able to play more over there. That's why they kept him over there. Now he's most likely coming mm-hmm. back to North America. My question to you is, Rachel, do we even see him have a ticket to Grand Rapids, or is he straight to Motown? Uh, I think he's Grand Rapids first. So I had actually just recently done um, another podcast regarding this very topic where I, I think that – so Mo being over in Europe was absolutely what he needed for development and like you were saying I want to make sure that people understand there's there's a difference between um you know being just in the AHL and that's where you're supposed to be and the actual development process of a player they don't just go AHL NHL there's a very very in-depth process that happens behind the scenes and where he was in Europe was part of that he needed the ice time he needed the experience he needed to keep fresh before coming back over um now that being said there's a lot of defensemen right now at the NHL level for Detroit. We made quite a few signings. Um, so he's going to have to fight for that place. He's going to have to earn it just like everybody else. Just because he was amazing his rookie season in Grand Rapids does not mean he's a shoe in So I think it's going to be a fair shot that he will return to Grand Rapids uh, out of training camp, prove himself, of course, play in the preseason. But I think he's going to start in Grand Rapids at first just to kind of see how things shake out and if he can be consistent. But also it has a lot to do with the pieces up top. You know, if there's no room or if there's players that need more ice time or are going to get more ice time, Iserman's not going to bring him up if he's going to play six minutes a night. That's right. just not how it's going to be. And the taxi squad thing is probably out of the question, I believe, for this season. So yeah. it's not like that's going to be a, an opportunity for him. Um, I think this training camp is going to be huge. If he doesn't impress at this training camp, he's for sure starting in Grand Rapids. Now, if he's phenomenal in training camp, Iserman might change his mind, but he's not going to give him special consideration just because he's Mo Sider. Um, he, he has to fight along with everybody else. So honestly, realistically, I could say, you know, Grand Rapids to start, maybe a month or two into the season gets pulled depending on how he does and what the situation up top is. But I don't think he's starting in Detroit. It, I concur with that. That makes a lot of sense. Now, granted, if it, for those that know the story, speaking of Mr. Eiserman, Steve Eiserman was not supposed to play in the 1983-84 season, even though he was the first, fourth overall pick. Jimmy Devolano likes to tell the story that they were going to bring him up, get him accustomed to being around the guys, and send him back to Peterborough for another year. Then five minutes into training camp, they realized he was their best player. And so he <laughs> stayed, and the rest is history. But and, and, and because you mentioned how many defensemen there are. I pulled up Cap Friendly here. Just let everyone know how many defensemen there are. And you can guess how many are over the age of 30. Nicoletti, Danny DeKaiser, still there, Philip Roenick, mm-hmm. Mark Stahl, Troy Stetcher, uh, Jordan Osterley, Gustav Lindstrom, there's a Griffins prospect, and mm-hmm. Wyatt Newpower. So there's obviously a lot of Grand Rapids blood in Detroit right now, or at least mm-hmm. listed here on Cap Friendlies. But like you mentioned, a lot of defensemen. 
And the best thing I now, why is Mark Stahl getting signed for another year? I don't know. I guess they just want, I guess they need to have NHL caliber defensemen in Detroit. There's two reasons for that. Two reasons. Two reasons. Yes. Two reasons. Do you want me to say what they are? <laughs> if you can convince me why Mark Stahl is an everyday NHL defenseman, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> uh, he believes in the development process. He wants to train the young people. He actually, he's completely bought into the process. So he's a hundred percent behind Steve. That's huge for leadership in the locker room for development purposes. Right. Um, also, he's actually a relatively cheap contract, but he's also the veteran experience at a relatively cheap price. So exactly. they need someone who can play those minutes, but also someone who's willing to sacrifice those minutes for the young guys to learn. So I do agree. Yeah, I do agree with that there. You want the guys there, which really means right. that Mark Stahl is going to be working in the front office when he finally hangs him up in Detroit, because that's just how <laughs> yeah. it works. Oh my gosh, how many <laughs> yeah. years was Marty Berdur in St. Louis? He played six games for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... And, and you got to like that because that shows. So when like guys, like I said, Gustav Lindstrom may be getting some looks this year and Hiro, mm-hmm. you know, Hironik, who has slowly developed into the everyday NHL, even though I, I, how many years was he in Grand Rapids? Three, I think. Uh, two. Off and on. Two and a half, I think. Yeah. And, and some guy, and he was able to get that call up right away and it helped that, mm-hmm. you know, they finally got rid of Cronwell's contract and a couple of other older defensemen. So. Jonathan Erickson being another. So you're going to see a lot of more youth with this Detroit team. Right. That said, you know, we talked about a guy like Mo Sider last year a little bit, asking, you know, like, is he going to make the jump last year? Well, it didn't quite happen. didn't come over. But who do you think from the prospect pool that the Red Wings have is going to come over to North America, let alone, you know, maybe not Detroit, but come here to yeah. Grand Rapids and work their way into the system that way? Defensively or forward? Uh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> Everybody. At the, at the, the entire time. Swedish Elite League is coming to play in Grand Rapids. Oh, that would be a dream come true. I would definitely have to get a Swedish jersey. Um ah oh, man, my my brain instantly goes to um Raymond. He's yeah. not a for sure. Um there's been talk that he might get pulled over. I know he's coming for training camp. Um, but as far as signing anything, I'm not sure he's, he's a shoe in yet, but I would love to see him over here. Um, either him or, uh, Soderblom, Elmer Soderblom. Oh yeah. He's been over with, uh, the Swedish league for several seasons now in the SHL at the very top tier, um, and has been doing a very good job over there, I think. And I would love to see him take on North American ice and see how he does. He's kind of a, an understated player. He's not. I don't, I don't think he's like star studded material or, or touted like a star necessarily, but he's got a lot of really good qualities that I would love to see on the Griffins or the Red Wings. So right. he would be one that I would love to see come over, but I think Raymond might get the shot before he does. It, it'll be interesting. I know Raymond still has world junior eligibility and I think, mm-hmm. and I know some NHL GMs more and more lately are becoming a little less and less for it and then, I mean a lot of people look at Mo Sider not playing for Team Germany last year in the World Juniors mm-hmm. as one of those things I don't know if he was going to save Germany in the tournament but he would have certainly helped them but um, <laughs> it wouldn't have hurt their situation it would not have hurt them it would have probably been a little <laughs> better on the stronger on the back end but exactly. I do like Raymond um, do you think any of the goaltenders are going to make a presence this year I know uh, Jan Bednar and goaltending is obviously a whole different mm-hmm. ballgame when it comes to it development is. everyone yeah People forget Carey Price, all-world goaltender, Hall of Fame. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He started out in Hamilton, two kids. Like, everyone yeah. has to go through that long stretch. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, you have Jan Bednar, who got drafted last year. Uh, Carter Guylander, I don't know if he's ever going to make a move. But do you see anyone really slowly moving up into the system to Grand Rapids soon yeah. with the fact that Calvin Pickard just got re-signed as well? 
for sure. I know Victor Bratstrom is for sure coming this season. Um, okay. At least that's the last word I heard from the people I know in the system. So Bratstrom should be here from Sweden. He was supposed to be here last season, but obviously things didn't shake out that way. So right. he's one I'm excited for. And then Bednash, it's Czech, so it's the ARs. Oh, sound. yeah. Yes. No, it's weird. Oh, well, <laughs> I, ben- I've been, I got Jared Bednar over there in Colorado ruining <laughs> it for all of us. I know, but Bednash, I think he's probably going to make a good jump. Um, and like you said, goaltending development, it takes a lot longer than skaters do. Their their development is very unique. They play a lot more minutes. They need a lot more stamina and their mental game has to be a lot sharper, I think, in a lot of ways. So it does take a long time to develop that. So people can't get too impatient um, with us having Nadalkovich up top. That's it's definitely a step in the right direction. <laughs> that's for sure. But I think Bednash could probably, Guylander, he's got a lot of, potential i think they could give him a look in training camp i don't know if he's going to make that jump or not his competition now in the goaltending pool is very thick and i'm not sure he has what it takes to really make a push this would be the season if he's going to make himself known this would be the season if not this season i think they might move on from him but i think bad nash probably be the best out of all those do you think then in that case that the philip larson experiment's over with yes um larson the kid got it's hard to say because his his mental game like his his physical game was on point um he has the athleticism he has the ability he has the stamina uh but for some reason mentally he struggled and i don't know if it was you know personal issues coming into play that i mean hockey players they're real guys you know they have life happening just like everyone else does right um so i don't know if that's something that kind of rolled into that but or maybe he just cracked under the pressure and the expectation because the expectation was very high for him. Oh, yeah. Um, and maybe just with the, the inability to meet that demand at the AHL level really crushed his spirits. I don't know. But I think they're probably going to send him to Toledo, see what happens, and then move on from there. Um, I don't think Iserman wants to really kick around uh, prospects for too long. And I, I don't think it's right to hang on to him if we're not going to use him. So I, exactly. I think we might be moving on from him. Yeah, and that's it's tough too because you all, yeah. you hope you hope all your draft picks work. But I remember I heard an interview with Stevie that he said a couple years ago. I think it was the second year with the team. If you can get two of your draft picks and each draft yeah. make it to the NHL, it's a win. So yeah. I mean that and it, that's how the saying. And if it's seven rounds and you only, just say you only have seven picks, you know though the odds are not great. But like no. that's that's the goal is to even have two. And unfortunately, Philip Larson didn't fall under that two. But yeah, they had a very good draft not as many picks as in 2020 but this year's draft i thought was really good and for me it's two guys now people are gonna be like well of course tyler you like these two guys you broadcast them at the u18s that's true (laughs) however simon edvinson did not impress me one darn bit but his numbers and his play in the swedish league prior to the u18s prior to literally steve eiserman being in the booth with me just not you know didn't really have the chance to interview him because, well, we were busy calling a game. But, <laughs> but he all, was there, so you pretty much broadcasted with him. Holy cow, because it was Maltz, Draper, Iserman. Like if, because we played in the small, we were in the small rink there in Texas, in Plano. And if Canada or Sweden were playing, the packed, you couldn't move. That's how crazy yep. it was. If any other team was playing, they were gone. They were not anywhere <laughs> near that barn. Because they get Simon Edvinson. That is their first pick of the draft. He ended up drafting him sixth overall. Mm -hmm. And the other guy who I really like because I am, I I know it's a dumb cliche, but the 200-foot player, Liam Dover-Nielsen. I loved watching him play because 
He was the captain of the team. And while he wasn't statistically impressive during the under 18s, you could see had the tools to be a guy that can really be both a bottom six guy on your team, but if given a chance, he could play in the top six as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I thought Edvinson was an excellent pick. Um, Dara Nielsen, um, he was one actually, I just recently started watching a little bit more closely, but and you're absolutely right. He's he's like, when people look at the stat sheets, I think we get hung up on the numbers, uh, the, the, the points and all that. But when you actually watch them play, I think that's when you really start to appreciate why they were drafted and the skill behind it. So his skating, I thought was beautiful. He's a very good skater. His acceleration is pretty solid. And that's something with being that 200 foot player. If you can accelerate and follow the play closely, that's that's a skill not everybody has to get and, off the. And he's really good at face offs, too. That was another thing yeah, I really yeah. noticed. He's especially when you lose a guy like Glenn Denning, you're going to need a guy in a few years <laughs> that can take face offs. I exactly. Know yeah. You know, that's what Glenn Denny was good for at the end, but that's neither here nor there either. <laughs> that's a, I, I digress. But he went to yeah, East Grand Rapids, kids. I have reasons. I have things to say. He's he's a Grand Rapids boy. I mean, it was hard to watch him go, but right. I think with with between Edvidson and Dower Nielsen, um, obviously they're like besties too, which is of course what everybody loves. But those two, they're very they're diametrically different players, um, but they have a very similar style as far as their leadership style, um, how they actually behave. And it's going to sound cliche for this too, on and off the ice, but they have the mental game for it and they have the foundational pieces and that is in their skating and their puck handling. Um, you know, I don't believe Dr. Nelson takes too many chances when it comes to, um, or calculated chances when it comes to scoring or anything like that. Edvinson is a little bit more calculated as well, but both of these guys have very important foundational pieces and when looking at the draft and watching these players, Iserman and the team are not just looking at the points and how many points they put up in juniors or how many they didn't put up. Um, I believe it was Plandowski they drafted. He didn't play a single game last season. Right. He still got drafted. So you can't just look at that. You have to look at the actual character and the bones of the player and what they can what they can be taught and if they're teachable. And I think with this whole draft, they did really well with that, finding guys who have the character and the ability to be taught uh, but they already have that high level for high standard for themselves to build off of. Yeah, and that's why we we overemphasize Bruce Levine, who we had on the show last week here mm-hmm. on the Kula show. We emphasize the fact that we didn't know going in like how these players were going to look. We saw the numbers. You could watch as so much film as you could because unfortunately, unless you, I don't know how you do it, Rachel and Janae. I'm not going <laughs> to ask for the sake of VPN numbers. <laughs> how you guys watch those games, but when you ever see, you know, look up Simon Edvinson highlights, it shows yeah. here, Simon Edvinson skating up the wing, skating through everybody. I'm like, that's great and all. There's a couple, yeah. there's only a couple guys on, on YouTube that do a really good job. Um, oh gosh, I can't, there's one guy that for the big prospects will put like a 15 minute, like actual scouting report. Um, oh crud, what's his name? I can't think <laughs> on top of my head. If you look up, for those that don't know, there's there's a guy, and he does a great job, does like 20-minute videos of like the big names. And if you ever want yeah, to do I, it. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember the name, though, but I know who you're talking about. It's going to hurt me. And I don't want to look it up because I feel like it's going to wreck my internet if I try doing too much Google searching right now. <laughs> but, because Xfinity Kids, it's great. Um, but Top service. Top service here. They do, like I said, they do draft Oscar Plandowski as well. And, and of course, last year, there were quite a few Canadians that played overseas. Brant Clark is one that comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason McTavish was another. Some just stayed home, though. Shane Wright, he stayed in and just skated, and uh, he looked pretty good. Uh, he's probably going to yeah. be the first overall pick, and I don't think anyone's doubting that at all. The goaltender, the first goaltender in the draft, 
was not a Russian goaltender that it was going to be questioned by literally everybody. This time it was Sebastian Kassa from the Edmonton yep. Oil Kings, who had a mind-boggling season last year in the WHL. Now, yes, there was no WHL champion, so he really couldn't prove himself in the playoffs, however he would. But as far as I know, according to his numbers, he stopped Connor Bedard more than every other goaltender in the league. <laughs> He only lost one game in regulation. As I quick pull back his numbers here, 17-1-1, a 1-5-7 goals against, and a 9-4-1 save percentage, four shutouts in 19 games. Kids, this was not a five-game goaltender. This guy played about what you would look at about a halfway mark of the season and was pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. And I, you just, we, you know how we talked about the goaltenders that are coming over here, it just adds to that. And the best problem that a team can have is have too many good goaltenders. Obviously, development is a little bit different. I have too many goaltenders on one team currently. That's one thing. But if he, because he's probably going to stay in Edmonton next year, I don't expect Stevie to try to bring him along sooner, not, sooner and later. But if he can keep the course here, this could be a goaltender that just by watching him, watching the film, and seeing him play live-ish <laughs> on video – you can tell he has the potential to be a good goaltender later on down the line. I don't know if he's going to be. I, there's a lot of people picking him to be on the Canadian World Junior team this coming December and January, so I'm excited to see that. But he could be the guy, and I'm pretty sure that Teichman said when they drafted him, he's like, this is going to be our guy in four years. At least that's the hopeful plan with Casa. Right, and it looks like with, with everything I've seen, I mean, he's a phenomenal goaltender, and I have a little bit of a reservation when it comes to goaltenders, of course, no offense. Um, <laughs> we are totally sane individuals who are total, that are, don't get rattled or don't lose our minds. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as Jordan Bennington's goaltender. a nice person. <laughs> I'm sure he is. <laughs> a little crazy, though. But with, with Kosa, I, I really like, they actually already signed him to a three-year, and he put on his Twitter, he thanked the WHL for everything and thanked his coaches and stuff. So I don't know if he's alluding to being in Grand Rapids this next season. It sounds oh boy. like he already said his goodbyes. So if that's the case. Nine goaltenders a, signed here. It, yeah. So, I mean, like you said, it's a good problem to have. It's a problem we haven't had in a long time. But he's he's very athletic. He's very fast. And what I like about him is he's actually kind of, uh, he's, he's kind of chippy and, and not in like an irritating way where he's like slashing pads and stuff like that, but he wants to engage in the game a little bit more than just staying in his crease. He's comfortable getting out, but not too far out where it's like, you know, you got flurry who's at the blue line, just hanging out there doing pirouettes, doing God knows what, but yeah, he's a hall of famer. He's amazing. But exactly with <laughs> that's the winner now kids. <laughs> yeah, it works for him, but Kosa, I just really like how he kind of attacks the puck. He attacks the game. He keeps that play moving. He keeps it active and he wants to be engaged in that, not just setting back and be like, Oh, I'm stopping it. He wants to keep it moving. He's very alert. I like that. Um, and with this three, this three year entry that he signed, I mean, he will be at the prospects tournament. He will be at training camp. So I'm really excited to see him side by side with our vets to see really how he measures up. But I think mentally too, he's in a really good place. I think he, he can stay focused and he challenges himself and he likes the challenge. And everyone knows goaltenders, they like being trash talked to. They like that weird abuse kind of stuff. I'm not really sure why, but it, it gets us fired up and makes us yeah. try it. makes us mad. And I always played better angry. I, if I, if I was feeling good, the next three were going to the back of the net. So I, I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to like get mad at myself. Wasn't good enough I mean, save. I'm getting benched in two minutes. There's no way. But no, I, I really like his demeanor and his personality. And I think it says a lot that we signed him 
uh, drafted this year. We already signed him to an entry. So there's something in him, Steve sees, that's going to work a lot quicker than perhaps other goaltenders in the system. And I think other goaltenders need to take warning that they need to have absolutely phenomenal seasons. Because if this kid's getting drafted and signed right away, I mean, your chances of actually making it up to the top are getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. And our, right. our goaltending pool is a lot smaller than the forwards in D. So it's a lot more honed in um, and a, a lot more laser focused. So if, if they can't impress and this kid's in the net, then I don't know. I think in a season or two, we could be seeing him attempting to make the jump if he starts in Grand Rapids. That's a good point. I'm looking at the goaltenders they have signed to contracts in general. Obviously, you have Nadelkovich and Grice up in Detroit. Yep. Pick, uh, Calvin Pickard. Larson, Victor mm-hmm. Bradstrom, Kosa, and good old boy Toledo Walleye legend Caden Fulker back there. Caden Fulker back yes. there. <laughs> good who, kid. Who is slowly becoming, who's slowly getting towards Jeff Lurg status um, <laughs> in terms of being a, a walleye legend. I don't know if that's, if that's something. He still Jeff has. Lurg is amazing. Oh, I love Lurg. Lurg, when he, oh, yeah. when he came on our show, I remember that. I just wanted to sit there and ask him about Michigan State, but I realized, you know yep. what? He had, he played other places. Everywhere. Yeah. But tell me about what it was like playing against Wayne State back in the day, Jeff. That's what I. That's what I need to know. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's it's a tight pool to have. But the thing mm-hmm. is with ELCs because you can sign a, a goaltender, and I don't know if it pertains to the American League, but I know that if you play like there's the rule that if you play less than ten games in the NHL, you can go back get sent to junior. Right. So there is yep. the option that he can go back to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure, and whether that's just you know what Steve Eisman told him in confidence or behind the scenes that would pertain to him coming up in Grand Rapids. But obviously, like you mentioned, how he does at the prospects camp, how he does at training yep. camp will be the determining factor if he becomes mm-hmm. a pro pro. I know junior yeah. hockey is up there in Canada. You technically are a professional, but not really. <laughs> By the amount of money I hear, they actually get paid. It's nothing. But he, to become a full-time <laughs> professional hockey player, that'll yeah. be the determining factor. But that moves us over here to the prospects tournament. Back in Traverse City after missing out last yes. year due to the pandemic, even though, even though Rachel and Janae won't be behind the scenes, won't be able to get it. I mean, I probably it's probably a, I guarantee it's probably a COVID thing, which kind of yeah. stinks for all of us that follow Access Hockey MI. But you yeah. know, I, we all understand the pandemic is still going on, and it stinks <laughs> for all of us. It doesn't touch hockey though. It shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't touch hockey. I mean, We're clearly, clearly, it touches. <laughs> touches soccer because if anyone saw that brazil argentina match for all seven minutes of it it was wild and bonkers health officials <laughs> storm out in the field telling people to get off it's great um i would love to see that happen at a hockey game probably wouldn't get down the tunnel anyways no. <laughs> um first of all how excited are you because i know you and Janae are going to be going up there mm-hmm. you guys are going to be giving us awesome content and feedback mm-hmm. just the fact that you guys are going back to tc even though it's going to be a little bit cooler but going back in september how excited are you to be going to the prospects tournament and training camp as well I honestly cannot contain my excitement. Um, <laughs> we, we we booked our hotel the day the dates were announced and everything. And we've been, we're really close with a lot of the staff over there. This will be our sixth or seventh season going. Um, so we've gotten to know a lot of the people there and a lot of the personnel and everything. So we've been in touch with them and the Griffin staff are really close with a lot of them. So we've been kind of keeping in the loop and we're all excited to be back. But the the format is going to be a little different. Um, it has three less teams than it normally does. We normally have eight. There's only five. So the schedule is going to be a lot less arduous. I mean, there were days we were in the rink for seven to eight hours, like just hopping back and forth. Oh, no. Being at a rink for eight hours. That's I know. horrible. I'd rather go work all day. I know it's terrible, but like our lips would be purple. The rink is so cold. So, That's like, true. Yeah. Yeah. We drank a lot of tea to stay warm, but it, 
I, I we're just we're both super elated. Um, it's it's going to be we're taking off on the fifteenth to head up there and everything. But it's our only vacation of the year too. So to spend it watching the next generation of prospects, and we actually just did a video on this. It's what's exciting to us is that it's the prospects from multiple NHL clubs. You get right. a very good look at what they're doing, what kind of player they're looking for, what kind of team they're trying to create. But you also get to look at their invitees, their NA, their NCAA, their junior kids that they invite over that they're not contracted. They're just invited to join. So that's super exciting for these kids. And you see them play their hearts out for this tournament. And you really, you get a trophy and bragging rights, but it's the first live competition a lot of these guys are doing. And yeah. after last season, the hype around it is just so much more because we're actually going to be able to see live hockey and we're actually going to be see, able to see our prospects again. Um, and it's just, Honestly, it's like what we look forward to all year. As soon as it's done, we're already planning the next season. So, yeah, we're we're super geeked. I, I, I'm excited. It is fun. So the team's obviously Detroit. Toronto's going to be yep. there, which is why I'm bummed that because I had requested, you know, media pass as well. Because all yep. I wanted to do is get a one-on-one with Kyle Dubas for five minutes. Two, of a, two minutes for an interview, three minutes of me yelling at him. Uh, <laughs> Columbus Blue Jackets, the Dallas Stars, yep. Jim Nill, former uh, Detroit Red Wings assistant GM, running that club down there, and the St. Louis Blues. So mm-hmm. very regional, which is typically how it goes. You're not going to see Anaheim come way up here. No. I know, I don't know if they're doing their, they do sometimes do one in Arizona or California. They are state. doing a, um, they are, they're doing, yeah. yeah, so Anaheim, LA, and a couple other teams over on the West Coast they're doing their own uh, rookie tournament or the prospects yeah. tournament. Yeah. Cause they do something like that up in the Northeast as well. Mm-hmm. Not as much in down and like, you don't see like Washington do them. It's cool because everyone's like, for, well, first of all, for the kids, by kids, I mean the players, they had, <laughs> Hey, they Rachel, 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 we're getting old. Yeah. We can say kids now with them. Um, <laughs> but they like for them, that's the first time they wear their team sweater. So it's, it's yeah. different. You get a little bit juiced up and, yeah. I still remember at the last one, Capo Caco literally skating rings around everybody, yes. which I'm yeah. like, that was unfair. That was like their ring yeah. pretty much. But like, that's the thing. Like you see players that literally could be in the NHL the next mm-hmm. season. And you correct me if I'm wrong on this, Rachel. Did Andres Anthony see you play in it twice? Uh, I believe it was just once. And then he got the invite to training camp. Right. That. That's they used to host development camp there too before yeah. it switched over to the new arena. Yeah, I, I still, I just thought to myself, like I felt like there was one Griffin that played in it like back to back years, and I just remember, so like, how are you allowed to do that? Like you're a <laughs> prospects tournament veteran. Yeah, no. right. I think if you're invited one year and you're not drafted, and then maybe you get drafted the following year because some of these kids are undrafted too and they're eligible. So right, it exactly. Kind of depends on where you fall in that. Yeah, because there, I mean, there are obviously a lot of first round picks, so we're probably going to see Edmondson, as far as I know, which which will yeah. be interesting because I believe, knock on wood, I know Europe is starting to change a lot. They're starting to shrink mm-hmm. the rinks down a little bit, but this is maybe is only his third or fourth time playing on North American ice, including yeah. the U18. So it'll be interesting because Traverse City, for those that actually haven't skated on there or played there, it it always seems smaller. Yeah, it always, and especially when I played there, because even when they, you know. Especially the, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the rinks anymore. There's is it David's it? rink, and then um, oh gosh, see, I missed a whole year. My brain's just which which is right the, which is the one that the North Stars used to play on? Uh, it's the West Rink, and then David's rink. So it must have been the West Rink. The right. West Rink just seemed like literally across the red line, and you're taking a shot on goal yeah. pretty much, like two strides yeah. in. So Simon Evans is going to learn how to play quick. 
he's going to hit the boards a lot. <laughs> oh, well, geez, he's six foot six or whatever it is. He's got a 12 foot wingspan, a stick that's yep. another nine feet long. He's going to, yeah. The boards For, come fast. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's the thing about a lot of these players, especially the Red Wings, how they like to draft European players, like to develop yeah. them as well. They get to come play over here in North America, get used to the ice surface for better mm-hmm. or worse. And but that helps them eventually develop down the line. They may go back right. to Europe and go back to the bigger sheets, but now they know what to expect when they do get called to Grand Rapids right. or if they do get called to Detroit. They know what to expect, which is the kind of the point of this prospects tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really helps them too. And Janae and I were just talking about this, um, the the other half of access hockey. Um, we were just talking about how it's also important for them because they can measure themselves up against the existing prospects too. So yeah. you get a very good look of the pool who you're competing against. Yes, you were drafted by the same team, but you're not teammates yet. So who you're playing against, where their skills are at and where yours measure up to it and the rest of the league, it's a great opportunity for them to really do like a self-inventory. And some of these kids, they don't have the automatic invite to training camp. So they're also playing for the opportunity to play in training camp and then from their preseason. So this tournament itself actually holds a lot more weight than just uh, a bunch of rookies and a bunch of kids playing hockey. For all of these players, this could be their chance. It might be their only chance to play against these prospects and get the shot, especially if they're European guys and we might not have the chance to go over and see them frequently. So I'm really excited too, because I believe uh, 2020 draft pick Kirill Chuchayev is supposed to be there too from Russia. From what I understand, there's word that they're going to try to get him over for that Mm. Um, because he was signed to be in Grand Rapids this season. So I think they're working on trying to get him over here um, on an exemption. But that would be really cool to see too because he's been kind of working on things in the background too. So it's it's just a great opportunity overall for them to really nail down their baseline of development. What is your favorite prospects turn? Or actually, we'll combine them. Your your favorite TC moment covering for Axis Hockey. Oh, gosh. I have a lot of Traverse City moments. I I remember I went to the – didn't go to the prospects tournament, but I went to training camp the year after Mm -hmm. they won the Cup in 2002. Mm -hmm. That building was packed. If you went in that building today, you would be very nervous that you were going to bump into someone to have close contact because that's how tight (laughs) this was. Like nose to nose. Oh, my gosh, especially at the West Ring because Joseph was just signed, so that was a big deal for me, especially because I was always a Cujo fan who was in Toronto. And the one problem I had, though, is that Stevie was still hurt. He had his knee yeah. problems, so he wasn't yep. there, but, like, McCarty was there. Maltby I think that ball. was because of Pronger, wasn't it? Because I know he Pronger ended up doing, like, the knee-to-knee thing. I can't remember if that was 2002 or if that was the, a season prior. Because so, I know Pronger blew out his ACL after that. So Eiserman had problems that entire year, yeah. carrying it back actually to 01, the, the series against, L, against L.A., had knee problems the entire way, but he realized, like, that 02 team, like, this is our – it ended up being his last chance to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to play as much as I can. Yep. Barely had any knees. But then what happened was, <laughs> I believe it was game four of that series against St. Louis. St. Louis had just won game three, and they seemed like they could have came back to tie the series. And then Iserman was coming up the boards. I still remember the play vividly because I yeah. remember watching it live, and then I still have the DVD or whatever. Iserman dumps the puck in. You see the camera turn, but you see Pronger coming across. Yeah. And Iserman does what you legally could do back in 02 and literally ducked, ducked the check on Pronger. And for those that have actually ever seen Steve Eisman, like Eisman barely comes to my shoulder. Like standing next to him when I was in Dallas was like, this is weird. (laughs) You're so, (laughs) and Pronger is 6'3", 6'4". Eisman ducks, he's at his knee. 
hyperextends his knee, blows his ACL out. He's done for the rest yep. of the season. I think he, I don't think Pronger missed a whole lot of time the following season, but Eiserman right. at that point in his career, because he had knee problems when he was younger, just mm-hmm. took like 80% of the 03 season off, which stunk yeah. for me because I didn't get to see him, but eventually he came back, got to finish his career out in some form or another. And yeah, and it's it was so, it's for that, but that was my favorite moment because I actually got to be there and see right. the Red Wings and got to sign autographs and it felt very yeah. intimate. What about you and you with Access Hockey MI? Yeah, that I have a lot of them. Um, some of them are pretty random. Um, <laughs> I would have to say, oh gosh, let's see here. Oh man, I got to dig back in my mental archives here. Going Maybe. back to year one. <laughs> I know, right? Well, the first, the first year was a learning experience, that's for sure. Um, we were eating sandwiches out of our trunk and sleeping in a sleeping bag that was flooded uh, in the tent that was flooded at the state park. We did that two years in a row and then slept in a car for the other one. Um, it's devotion. That's what that is. But I would say probably I would have to say 2019. Um, my favorite moment was seeing Giovanni Smith. So 2019 was his final season play, and that was our final season at the Prospects Tournament, that is. Yeah. Red Wings actually won the Cup that year. Um, yeah. But seeing Hiroshi out there, um, Giovanni Smith was out there. We still had quite a few prospects in the pool now that we've kind of moved out around the leagues and everything. But Giovanni Smith, that was the first time I really got a full taste of his playing style. And I had a very distinct memory of him just beating the tar out of some kid from New York. I can't even remember who it was, um, but I have a video of the fight and everything. And it was so funny because he was known as a fighter when he was when, when he was in juniors, Yeah, uh, a little bit more of aggressive of a player. And I was like, leading up to that, I was like, oh crap, this kid's only just gonna drop the gloves and he's gonna spend more time in the penalty box than anything. So I remember seeing this fight, he gets ejected from the game. The next game he comes back this kid's on fire. He was on the top line the entire time. He was, I think he got like two or three assists in one game. He was, he was checking. He was, he was just an incredible player. And I remember thinking at that moment, I was like, okay, this kid has a terrible reputation right now for juniors as just being this really aggressive kid. But from that point on, I really fell in love with this game and watching him develop, like seeing and having that distinct memory of him just beating the snot out of this kid and then developing into the player he is now that just really stands out to me. Um, And I got to eat dinner with uh, Green. That was fun. Oh, Um, nice. We did. Yeah, we did the uh, um, they do the golf outing, their charity golf outing, and then they have the dinner afterwards. So Janae and I went that year and we got to sit and eat dinner with Mike Green and hang out and just talk with him. So that was really cool because that, too, is like a. A really personal intimate time and kenny holland was still running it at the time eiserman wasn't in the picture yet yeah so they did uh, a really down-to-earth q a afterwards too so kenny holland blash got up on the stage and anyone could ask anything oh um, gosh yeah right <laughs> and they just they talked about the development of the team where it's going kenny got a little nervous on some of the questions blash got pretty nervous on other questions um but blash, really what's liked- it like knowing that you're gonna be coaching college in two years <laughs> <laughs> right but i really liked that i mean it's it's not one of these like um, I don't know, like all-time hockey moments, but it was one of those moments where you're actually in, you're in with the players, you're at the same level, whether you're media, you're a fan, or you're the player itself, you get to see behind the scenes what's actually going on with the team, and this team means more to me than anything. Um, I grew up watching them, so to actually be able to be a part of that was really, really cool, um, and there <laughs> there was, oh gosh, who was it? It was Jerry Mayhew uh, from Minnesota. He Jerry, was time. Jerry time! Bulldog! Jerry time! May, so Minnesota's not going to be in it this year, but I want to say it was two or three seasons ago. 
Mayhew, that's when I really started disliking him because of how good he was. Oh boy. Um, yeah, and I hated Minnesota that season too because they took out two or three guys because of illegal checks to the head and all that kind of stuff. It was uh-huh. a very aggressive season. I don't know what was going on with that, but it just seemed that season was more aggressive than most. But I remember seeing Jerry Mayhew, and I was like, this kid is a thorn in my side. I hope I never have to see him again. And the very next season, he was in the AHL playing for Iowa. And I was like, are you kidding me? This kid's following me everywhere, and now he just – I can't get rid of him. He – Man, I, I'll, I'll make sure I tag Harrison Watt in this just so he knows that because he's probably like, don't you dare speak badly of Jerry no, Mayhew. Jerry's, he's a good player. I mean, the kid's got skill, but it just drives me nuts because he's skating circles around our guys for that entire tournament, and it, it just hurt my heart. And it's still a bummer because every time I talk with, like, Pat Micheletti or guys from up in Minnesota, I'm like, yeah. when are you going to start playing Jerry more? Like, he goes Seriously. up and he actually, like, he's not going to be, a, I, I get it, it's at that point in his career, he's not going to be a top six scorer. I get yeah. that. It's okay. But especially with Minnesota, especially if Kaprizov doesn't sign, <laughs> you're going to need forwards. Right. Making Jerry time up there in St. Paul. How about it? Yeah. He'll, he'll look yeah, good in those new sweaters. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's such a cool opportunity, too, because we got to see Andrei Svechnikov, his rookie season, or just before his rookie season, uh, Kako Kako. We got to see him and so many other guys that you see him now in the NHL. And obviously, Andrei Svechnikov has made a very good name for himself. Carolina is no part, no longer part of the tournament. Uh, Maple yeah. Leafs took their place. But just seeing that, that's like, the all-time moments come well after the tournament when you actually see these kids hit the ice in the pro level for the first time. It, it gives you the warm fuzzies, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it is something to be, and that's why, like, you you love going to those because then you you mention it. You see the stars of tomorrow. Yeah. Some, obviously, may stand out in the tournament you don't see later on, but the guys that make it, you're like, I remember when I saw yeah. them at this little, nice, cute rink in the very nice suburban, touristy town of Traverse City. Yeah. By, the, by the way, have you, um, probably last thing before we let you go here, Rachel, I know you got stuff going on today. And no, got Thomas Biano in a few minutes. Um, ha, if you go up there, I, do, do you go up there and it's all hockey or do you got, <laughs> or do you and Janae find time to go around? <laughs> to vacation? Uh, let's put it this way. In 2019, when we weren't at the rink, we were at our hotel Googling how to vacation in Traverse City. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, there's you could there's tons of wineries and stuff like up there. I mean, Janae and I don't drink, so wineries are kind of out of the question. There right. is so when we're not at the rink, both of us, it's our time for R and R. So we'll sit on the beach and literally just do nothing but read or talk about what we just saw at the rink. Um, but there's there's two places we always go: the Brew, which is the best coffee shop in town. Yes, go. They also serve beer, craft beers, and stuff like that. Um, and then Amakales is a little French bistro. Those are the two places we always go. I've seen it, never been to it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Go. It's delicious. Uh, best, best tomato bisque you'll ever have. But mm. I mean, when we're, when we're there, if it's not hockey, we're talking hockey, um, and just kind of soaking it in because we only get one vacation a year. Um, and both of us have some very busy work schedules on top of everything. So oh, yeah. it's just nice to kind of decompress and everything. But most of the time we end up talking about hockey in the next game and when we got to be there. <laughs> Well, that's we how also you get to work out there too, which is really fun because sometimes the prospects will be working out at the same time. So we'll use the gym. And I like to say that one time I worked out with Luke Glenn Denning because he was there for training camp and he was in the gym at the same time. So I'm oh, like, nice. yeah, I was, I worked out with Glenn Denning. Yeah, no big deal. I <laughs> sort of, well, actually, I, well, I was saying thing that there was a gym. Uh, it's called the facility now. I don't know what the name of it is. But back in the day when he first came up to Grand Rapids, yeah. he was working out at the same time I was. Him and like Jordan Pierce and, uh, uh, I think Nestrosil was still on the team. He was working out with yeah. them. They they were it was a couple of black aces in Glendenning, and I just remember saying to myself, I'm like, hey, you guys are because at that time Marcus Kinney was running the facility over there. 
Marcus, yeah, yeah. Marcus Kinney, the best trainer he in the always, AHL. Won't tell anyone different. Marcus Kinney. He's, oh. he's a fantastic dude. I love him. He was one of our uh, one of my favorite guests. We had. I remember yeah. I ran him at Aldi. I'm like, hey, Marcus, what are you doing tomorrow night? It's like, nothing. I'm like, want to come to my show? Yeah. He's like, sure. What's he the worst that up. could happen? He led Janae and I through a workout. I texted him one day and I was like, hey, I want to know what like a regular hockey workout looks like. Now, can you lead us through it? He led me through the warm up. Okay, and I'm a pretty fit person. He led me through the warm up, and I could not walk the last the next day. I was like, "This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I need to do this more." But it is he's a fantastic person. Well, be, and it's and it's crazy because having worked out with him and then worked out with other people as well, you it's yeah. functionality with yeah. endurance. It's so weird because yeah. everyone's like, "Oh yeah, just do a few curls, few bench presses, <laughs> and you're done." No yeah. kids, you need you need to like train a certain way to last yeah. an eighty game season. Yeah. He had us he had us balancing with one leg on one of those Bosu balance balls. Oh god, we not holding on to anything, and you had to balance on it, and it's like nothing but core strength. I still do it now because it's intense. It's perfect, yeah. and he's got these giant resistance bands, and you're having to sprint with them and stuff. But yeah, he's. I digress. He's an amazing person and fun to train with. <laughs> I always tell my every time we talk, he's like, hey, Tyler, whenever you want to get more back in shape again, I'm like, Marcus, you know, I don't play anymore, right? It's like, if you ever want to get back in shape? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't. Geez, I, I do my lifts now and I get tired. I'm like, if I try to do a do hockey it. workout, I'll you're, you're going to see me on the evening news. Yeah. Uh, local <laughs> broadcaster passes out in the middle of the middle of the road or passes out the wheel yeah. or something. Hey, they're very functional. I try to do them at least once a week and mix in some of that kind of stuff. It's very, very practical. You it, can't walk, but the next day you feel really good. I, yeah, it's. I, I still remember the workouts I used to do because my trainer moved back to town. We were talking about the other day. He's like, remember this? Like, we would work out like an hour and do like mile run with all like push like 200 squats and then yep. clean and jerks. And I'm like, how the hell did I get through all that? Nowadays, like, I, know, I, do, right? I do three Adrenaline. sets of adrenaline and you know better coffee than this probably is probably right, what it was right. but holy but you should definitely get back at it because the ice is opening up soon so the rinks are going to be opening up this month for yeah. skates and stuff so well we we moved i was telling you that we got a new place we moved yeah. five, we're like i can walk to walker ice we're right yeah. over here yep. and that's and that's beautiful gonna be arena awesome. beautiful yeah, beautiful really smart nice speaking of griffins former griffin mike fountain runs the rink over here and i gotta get go. with him like mike i need free ice because yeah. i'm bored <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the rink is really nice. It's really I I don't think there's a bad rink in the area. No, that person no, if you ask me. Because yeah, Southside's been redone, yeah. Yep, and then George Griff's Georgetown. They just bought that last year, the year yep. before. So it was just Georgetown where Grand Valley played. But that's where I'll take my nephew. He does midget hockey, so I'll take him over there. Oh, nice to play there. And that's a really nice. They've they've got two rinks there that are really nice. They yeah. they used to turn one into a roller rink in the summer. I don't know if they oh, okay. did. That. They used to do that. I don't think they did that this year. No, and obviously not with the pandemic. I just remember I just remember that one, Griff's and um, the Belknap, I know is a popular one. Belknap's nice because it's cold because the ice is really good. Georgetown, if you get in the wrong time of year, like too early in the season, like in October, the yeah. ice can be super soft and yeah. really, really warm, and you will sweat twenty five pounds off. <laughs> That's what I always remember about that when we played high school. Like we played like we played Jenison in November. If, yeah. if it wasn't 10 degrees outside it would get really warm in there and it just was it could, it would, yeah the ice gets pretty chopped up at that point never never as bad as fair state ava glavin ice arena <laughs> i love that barn to death because i grew, grew up going to college games there watching chris kunitz play and all that and rob collins the worst rink to play in <laughs> i love it and speaking of jerry mayhew i love that rink i skate i played a few games there and it just it's miserable terrible ice <laughs> well because i sweat it's so like you literally get out there and like 
It's the only rink that I broadcast in because I usually broadcast in a suit these days. Yeah. I, I take off my jacket because it's that yeah. warm. It's yeah. It's a it's a fun barn. It can be very loud. The ice is <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's horrendous. It's nothing personal. Nothing personal. I love you, Harrison. Don't don't at me, please, Harrison. Don't come after me. <laughs> Love you. Uh, we have been chatting here with Rachel Anderson from Access Hockey MI. Follow her, guys, at Access Hockey mm-hmm. MI on Twitter. Follow them at go on accesshockeymi.com. Get ready for their loads of awesome content coming up for training camp and the prospects tournament. Check them out. Rachel, thanks again for coming on this very oddly yes. timed TKS today. <laughs> enjoy the rest of your Labor Day, the Thank rest you. of your holiday, and enjoy TC. I would say go to Northern Latitudes for me up there, but obviously I'll have to go up there sometime myself. I'll walk in for you. How about that? There we go. Just get a good smell and breathe it out. (laughs) At a very safe, socially distant. Yes, of course. Safety first. Exactly. We will take a break, folks, when we come back. Thomas Biondo to come on and talk about more NHL talk here on The Cule Show. We'll be back right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to The Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler Cule, the inside of the insiders. Here once again on this special Labor Day midday matinee here on the Cule Show Networks. Thank you for joining us, whether you're watching us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or even Twitch. Yes, folks, we have a Twitch account. It's the Cule Show. It's very simple. It's just like it says on the bottom of your screen there. And, of course, if you're just joining us, you may have accidentally missed the Rachel Anderson interview we just had from Access Hockey MI. That's okay. The best part about us doing this live right here is that once the show is done, it's going to be on demand for you on the Cule Show YouTube channel or Facebook or Twitter or Twitch for two weeks because we don't have a paid subscribed account we just do the free one anyways also if you don't want to watch us and see our beautiful faces that's okay i get it it's best for you know for your mental health just make sure you check it out in your favorite podcatcher as well to listen there with that let's bring in our second guest here on today's program he is the captain of the five timers club he is one of the co-hosts of the in the box podcast he is also the voice the longtime voice of davenport university hockey ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the show, Thomas Biondo. Thomas, you. how are you doing, sir? Good to be here, sir. How are you? Kelly is yelling through the door. Hi, Thomas. Of course. Tell her I said hello, ma. He, said, he says hello, too, dear. Good. I'm sure everybody loves the screaming right there. That is perfect. That's why. I, see, that's the best part about this mic here is that if I'm right here, it's really close. But if I go over here, they don't hear me as much, which is probably for the best. Well, you're you're a loud person, Tyler, so I'm I'm sure they still hear you, buddy. You don't worry about that at all. You want to hear something really dumb? I was doing the races over here at Berlin Saturday night, and okay. our director, our video director, comes in. I was actually calling the races. This is how much they were desperate Saturday night. And our guy comes in in between. We're on a commercial break. He's like, Tyler, you need to project more. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do I have to scream? And I I get it there because I was like the I was the number two, so I did like I called some of the race. Sure. This guy comes the inside, but I was also the commentator, so I didn't have to bellow out everything that was going on. But I'm like, am I really that quiet? I looked at the guy, Matt McKenzie, who I've known for years. I'm like, Matt, am I that quiet? And he's like, no, I can hear you just fine. I'm like, what's the problem then? Yeah, it's 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 always hard to believe that somebody did not hear you clear. That's It's a problem, Thomas. Exactly. Uh, so, Thomas, let's let's talk about some stuff here. First of all, sure. let's get to the very important question that I have for you today. Oh, okay. How did you grade Michigan football's week one against Western? <laughs> uh, well, uh, graded, I mean, seriously, I, I give it, a, I, I don't give out a lot of A's, but I, I kind of, I'm going to give it an A just because, you know, Western is, college football is really different now. It's not 
like it was in the '90s, where you expect to beat MAC MAC teams and, and lesser non-power five conference teams by by thirty points. I think that's that's a mistake to assume that those are just going to be victories now. Yeah. Um, I mean, just look around the country, look around the scoreboard. Montana beating Washington, taking a little luster off those this week, and I'm still terrified of that game, by the way. Of course, of course, because you know they were probably looking ahead. There's a little bit of look ahead there. It's just. So anytime you can get a win by 30 plus points, I'm not going to be, or in the 30 point neighborhood, I'm not going to get upset about a lot, especially considering that, you know, Western, it was projected to be a really good power uh, group of five teams. So good on them running quarterbacks in the past or, or, or RPO offenses in the past have given Michigan problems and, and the new defensive coordinator, uh, McCarthy, the McCartney, McCarty, one of those. Yeah. It looked real good in this first game. So, uh, and obviously the only two incompletions were knockdowns from, from Kate McNamara. So overall, I, I, I've got to be real happy with what happened Saturday. Except for one obvious thing, Ronnie Bell out for the season. Yeah. I, I didn't mean, jinx it, Thomas. I just said he had stick him on his gloves on that one catch. They ruled as a pass interference, which is a BS call. Anyways, it's not my fault that after he scored, he got hit and his knee went the wrong way. Well, you don't text during a football game. I always text during football games because I can't talk to Kelly about it because Kelly would be like, shut up, Tyler. You're a Michigan fan. Everything's fine. I'm like, no, it's not. Well, Kelly's onto something there with telling you to shut up. But that's, I mean, it is what it is. And now it's just the wide receiver room is deep. Um, we just unproven. So now we get to see, give those guys a chance to prove themselves. Do you, how, this is the last football question. Everyone's like, this is a hockey show. Is it not two Michigan fans here having a heart to heart? Because especially yeah. since I'm going to go see Rutgers in a couple of weeks, I need to make sure that that team is 100% ready because yeah. I know it's Rutgers. However, Michigan the last few years has done that thing where I get nervous, even if they play Rutgers anyways, well, and, and, and Rutgers coach Greg Schiano, I mean, that he's back. And right. the only time in Rutgers history where they've really had success, guess who was their coach? Yep. Greg Schiano. So I, I, I'm, nothing will be easy. And they got they got him back, and I expect it to be a, a dogfight. I don't think that this is not going to be your slightly older brother's Rutgers team. No, that, that – well, last year, for example, shoot, they were up three scores, and Cade yeah. McNamara had to go save Joe Milton's milk yeah. money. You know, that's how bad it was last year. Yeah. Now it's at home, so hopefully it's better. But do, do you, is Cade McNamara on a tight leash, you think? Or do you think since McCarthy's shown that he's a little bit of a wild card at times, that McNamara is going to be the start of the entire year? Um, entire year, I won't. I, 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 I don't want to, to do that yet. But I don't – I mean, he'd have to be playing pretty poorly to be pulled against Washington. Right. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I mean, I, I don't want this to come off as another September Heisman for Michigan – um, Tate Forcier. Robinson. I mean, a lot of guys got that September Heisman tag, and I don't really want to do that, but I'm more than comfortable saying he's definitely my starter next week. And for the, I mean, if he continues to play like he did against Western for the foreseeable future, for sure. Gosh. You, you, as soon as you said September Heisman, I just went back to that. Oh, was it, uh, was it 09 or 2010 when Tate Forcier led the comeback against Notre Dame? Uh, yeah, it was in that time frame. A lot of those years, those, those Hoke and Rich Rod Ayers years blurred together yeah uh, the, the term september heisman was strong for all seven of those years that's for sure because michigan would start off three and oh they would handle their business against notre dame and two mac opponents they play they play wisconsin in week four and pff, yeah, i mean it's, there was some there was some embarrassing some embarrassing losses in that era Gosh, so, yeah, I, I, I've, I've 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 kind of pulled the wolf over my eyes in a lot of those that's for sure 
the reason, the only reason why Michigan has a win over Ohio State in this decade is because Lloyd Carr had Chris Perry and John Navarre, and uh, Jim Tressel was going to be ousted for recruitment violations. And then I forgot who the coach was that year, uh, Brady Oaks' first year. Who was yeah. it? Uh, oh, their coach. It was Luke Fickle. Luke oh, Fickle, uh, and uh, yeah. And everyone's everyone's like, this is going to be a good. Everyone's like, oh, it's a big win for Michigan. I'm like, they didn't even have a real coach for Ohio yeah. State that year. Well, it didn't. We didn't know that it was going to be a real coach. Luke Fickle's going to end up being a hot name in in college football. Well, back, team, five years ago or six. Yeah, years. But no, when they, yeah. Was one, they had no idea who Luke Fickle was. That's for sure. It's been ten years, Thomas. It's, I know. It's been. 10 yeah, you said five years. I know. I, I know. said five, thinking it was the closer. I'm like, well, no, wait, that was ten years ago. That was the 2011 season. I know. We're, a, we're both getting old. B, I, I was in I was in high school, Thomas. Yeah, I, was, I was fresh out of college. So Gosh I, Almighty. Long time ago. I, I I don't miss those years because that was in the middle of those bad years. Like, gosh, I remember when it was fun. We grew up watching Michigan beat Ohio State every year. John Cooper's my favorite. Not John Cooper. Um, no, yeah, John Cooper. Or John Cooper, different John Cooper. Ohio State's John Cooper. He was my favorite Buckeyes coach ever yeah, for that reason alone because Lloyd Carr would take him out to school every single year. Well, uh, And that's, that's kind of the other reason why this, I mean – Again, this hockey show, but you know, just to, I can wax poetically about this is that it, when Michigan beat them more often than not, it was an upset back then. I mean, this is because they would always come in like eight and zero or ten and zero to that and game. Michigan would be two have two losses. It's 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 a little bit of this a misnomer that that Michigan always went was you know these battles with Ohio State since the nineties were for national titles and. And whatnot. Yes, they were for Big Ten titles a lot of the time, but Michigan hasn't. I mean, besides that '97 season, and then again the loss in, in Columbus and what was that? Oh three. No. Oh six. The game 06, of the, the game yeah. of the century. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, I, a lot of Michigan hasn't necessarily been in the national type championship contention picture, and Ohio State has. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too. Like, and I, I always go about this because I, I do agree with you. People think Michigan. I swear, we're gonna get to the hockey folks. Just give us a minute here. We need to vent. Um, the thing is, like, people, when you say, like, Michigan fans think that they should be a national champion, I don't ever think that. I just want them to play a January 1st bowl game and have that game against Ohio State mean something. Yeah. That's yeah. How, that's been the thing for the last so many years. Like, if Michigan wins an upset, great. But I'm like, you want that game to matter for yeah. more than just the fact that you're beating your longtime rival. It's like Big Ten title, Big Ten, at this point, Big Ten championship game berth on the line. Like, that's what that's what I want. Whether it's a playoff, going for the college playoff, I don't care at this point. Just get us to get to the Rose Bowl. And, and you know, and it, what's what's funny is, and, and I guess I'll segue into the hockey a little bit because I was, you know, preparing for the show and, and some of the things that we were going to talk about. And, you know, patience in sports is gone. You know, and, and, I, and I, where I was going to kind it's of... The, it's because of these things. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Austin Matthews is 23. I... I well, <laughs> Eisman won his first Stanley Cup at 33, but there's no patience anymore. And now, yes, depend. There was talk that Eisman was going to be traded to Ottawa, so for Alexei Ashen. I mean, even here, patience wore thin, and it became questionable. But you know, this idea that you know him and McDavid, because they haven't won a cup yet, and lack of playoff success. Hey, this just in: it's hard to win. It's not easy. In, in the fact that at 23, you know, I don't know how real the talk is of, of who's going to go and which one in that group could go. But, I mean, you don't get that right anymore. You don't get to have a career to try to build it and to try to get it right 
you have to do it right away. And it's 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 one of the things that about sports more than anything else is, is changed in 20 years for the for the worse, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's true. And I I've I've done my best to stay away from that. And the, the name that keeps coming up as we get into this Atlantic Atlantic division situation conversation here. And he's gotten so much crap this year. And it's, it sucks to see it on social media, Mitch Marner. That's that of all the players that is being, that's got the target on his back is Mitch Marner because of the fact that he's making 10 plus million dollars. And I, my thing with this is if he was making William Nylander's money, if, if long story short, if Nylander and Marner switch places, switch contracts, your people are telling Nylander to get out and keep Marner. Like that's just how the expectations come in for the fact that you think he's a superstar because he's getting paid superstars money. And there's so much pressure on it. Every time he has a bad game, that whole seven game series against Montreal, it was trade Marner. Now the entire series. And then, and that's how it's been since that game seven, even if he could score four goals in the first game of the regular season this year, people are still going to look at Martin and be like, you can't do it in the playoffs guys. The the other thing is that, that that's so tough for Marner is that he's in, he's a setup guy right. and, and guys with a bucket full of assists, but 20 goal seasons, I, you know, like Gretzky, Gretzky had what over 1200 assists, but everybody focuses on the 800 plus goals. And, and, and it just seems like, assisting getting a boatload of assists i don't say it's frowned upon but it's also like yeah ho-hum you didn't you know what did you do you set up you you passed it to the great one you it it needs to be celebrated more you know marner's been a point of game guy basically what four straight years five straight years something like that close he would have had i think he would have had 100 points last season yeah if it was an 82 game season and and yeah he's the first one out because he you know, didn't score. Well, yeah, that's not his, that's not what he does. He doesn't score. I mean, he does 20 goal years again, nothing to sneeze at, but his job is to get it to Matthews to score. Right. And Matthews didn't have a great postseason against Montreal. So it's just, you know, it's, you got to understand what a player's job is. And you got to understand that this can, it can take time and you have to have a failure before you have a success sometimes. Yeah. And, and to your point, I remember you said 1,200 assists. I knew you were a little off there with Gretzky. Gretzky has more assists than anyone else has points in the entire NHL. He has 1,963 assists. Yeah. I, you know, because, yeah, because he's got 2,700 points, right? That's yeah. why, that's why I told someone, I'm like, and because he always said, oh, you could have played one more year, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because he had, in his last season in New York, I got his hockey reference up right here, he had 53 assists. Yeah. If he played one more year, he would have had two thousand assists and probably if he can keep up with his nine goal pace he had 99 would have had 900 goals i don't know i it's just i love i love looking at that like with the big what ifs because i still say if eiserman wanted to play one more year he would have hit 700 goals and been part of that club but you know what he wanted to get out i respect his decision and now he's with detroit and you know let's kind of go quickly turn that as we kind of bounce around the line this is not going to be as heavy duty folks as we did with the central where literally we had everyone from the central, like one person from each team. We're going to kind of swing around here at this Atlantic division, wherever the segue takes us. Detroit, we just talked with Rachel about the prospects. You're probably going to see Mo Sider at some point. Philip Roenick just got a nice little extension there as well. You have Alex Adelkovich, which is 
just showing that Don Waddell right now is looking like a buffoon after the whole Yesperi Kakaniemi little fiasco we have here, which, by the way, folks, yeah, if you haven't paid attention, Kakaniemi is a Carolina hurricane because Montreal's like, yeah, screw that contract. We'll take the picks. They got Christian Dvorak, and he's a pretty good player. Like, We'll get to Montreal here in just a moment as well. But you got to think that Detroit's going to be flirting with 500, Thomas. The way this team has developed, the way they're a little bit more competitive, and now they have a goaltender? This could be a 40 win, close to a 40 win team. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's fair to expect that. I think, you know, they bottomed out with the 39 points in the, in the COVID shortened year. So they were on pace for what, 46 or 47, as I think if you play the full thing, 45, whatever works out on a point per game basis. They come back and, you know, they had, I believe it was two six game losing streaks. But outside of that, I think there were a 500 team. Or they started four and ten. I it was it, you know I, I had done this 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 research uh, for for one of our shows on in the box and it was they they had a real tough start kind of like Ottawa did yeah but then after that they were basically flirting with a five hundred team then so yeah I don't think it's ridiculous to think that you know this team needs and they need to be within eight to ten points of a playoff spot around the trade deadline not saying that they should should necessarily buy but they need to continue to show a pulse and i understand that you know it's steve eisman and he's building it and he's gonna he's taking his time to do it but you know he had the he there was the bottom out and then there was a, a good improvement next year and i think they need to continue to show good improvement year over year and and last year they were never in a playoff chase they were mar- remarkably better but they were never in a playoff chase and now i think right. it's fair to expect that not even if even if they don't get there and end up on the outside because that east is really good i think showing that progress is necessary and it's going to be very interesting because this atlantic division is a big question mark all around but the fact that they're improving, and that's why, like I said, folks, we're taking the segue here to Ottawa. I would not be shocked if Ottawa come April, come late March, come past St. Patrick's Day, is a few points behind a wild card spot. I still think the Metro may have a stranglehold on the amount of playoff spots, similar to how the Central is going to out West. But Ottawa has this weird formula. If you literally took out the month of January, Ottawa could have been a playoff team with how bad Calgary was at the end, how bad Vancouver was at the end. Now, granted, Vancouver had this massive COVID problem, so that yeah. probably put an asterisk next to that. But Ottawa was a very good hockey team, mainly because they just played so darn loose. And that's what the nice part of it is when you have a bunch of kids on your roster. Yeah, I, you know, you said it. Like Montreal and Calgary, I just remember because Calgary is playing all those games late because of the, the COVID issues for Vancouver. So, you know, there was the Canadian team. It was just a mess of scheduling. And, and Calgary had all these games with us where they had like four games in hand and were eight points back. And all Montreal needed to do was like get a tie their last three games and didn't. And like they didn't, they didn't clinch. Calgary just kept losing enough for them to finally clinch. Well, you know, Ottawa, again, I, they had a very rough start and Matt put them behind the eight ball. Matt Murray couldn't make a save. And they were, they were 0 for 9 against, against the Oilers too. Oh yeah. They were 0 for 9 against Edmonton. You, if either one of those two things changes, yeah, they may make the Canadian playoff last year. So, I, And they'd be in the Stanley Cup Finals, not Montreal. I mean, because they would have bumped Montreal. So, yeah, if, if the same trajectory works, sure. But I think that that's a stretch, to be honest. But but I understand yeah, yeah. your point, and you're right. And, and that's the thing, is if they continue along, again, we talk about you want to see improvement, you want to see a, a rise in trajectory. They need Matt Murray to be good for the entire season for this to be any sort of realistic dream. 
But if he is, again, this team's gonna gonna be like Detroit, where they may not make the playoffs, but they're not gonna be an easy out for anybody on a night in night out basis. Uh, yeah, and it's going to make the Battle of Ontario worse because now that I said that Ottawa could have been the team that goes to the Stanley Cup Finals, that just reminds me of the fact that Ottawa would have been the team to come back from a 3-1 deficit against Toronto, which in a sick way is worse than Montreal doing it, kids, yeah. because Ottawa, going back to Michigan football here, it's like when Michigan State won like four in a row against Michigan. Like that, like even though Michigan at one point was awful enough that they were supposed to lose the state, like that's sure. how it was. Yeah. Losing to little brother four years in a row, it just, it, it, uh, Kelly's going to fight you. Be careful. Kelly has the Paul Bunyan trophy right now on her side of the bed. She has nothing to complain about, all right? True. That's <laughs> the, way, the, way, the, way cool. they, the way they play at Northwestern on set, or last Friday, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not counting Sparty out. You should never count them out. But I, I love the way battles. That's what's going to make this Atlanta division so interesting. Uh, do we even want to talk about Buffalo? Do we, do we, should we even bother? <laughs> the only thing is, is what – what I want to know is what are they what what's going on with Jack Eichel? I mean, what are, what how is that going to resolve itself? So he fired as his agent, gives it to new agent. I kind of expected a deal to be announced any minute after that. It didn't happen. I, I think that that's the biggest question mark with 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 Buffalo is what what's going on here. They they're right. They don't have to trade them. They really don't. But I mean, what's the point of you? Might as well go get your picks now. <laughs> I, yeah. I just don't understand what the what the decision here is or what they're going to do, but. When you talk Buffalo, I think that, that that needs to settle itself more than they can talk about anything else in terms of moving on. That And the only other thing that needs to be mentioned with Buffalo is that their goaltending is less than 2% under cap, so they should probably figure something out there too. Well, they have Yuko Pekalokinen down there who got a few starts there towards the end of the year last year. I think if you give him opportunity, just if he can carry over the kind of game-stealing ability he had when he was in Sudbury and what he did with Finland and the World Juniors in 2019, I think they're going to be set. They have a goaltender of the future. If they give him the right amount of reps, they don't like throw him to the wolves like they did. Um, uh, Matt Hackett was one who I just thought he could have been something, but then they just kept playing him over and over and it just went to poop. So maybe you try to ease him in. I know I, I think you have to, because if you're counting on Craig Anderson and Aaron Dell to play 82 games, I, I don't see that being a, a key to success. Well, if you have Craig Anderson there to pretty much teach more or less Loken and kind of guide yeah. him, I think that'll be big for his development. But yeah, Buffalo, it's with Jack Eichel. And there's whispers that it's going to happen before, before training camp. There's whispers, but they get to training camp. It's going to happen the first week of training camp. There's all these questions and the, the consensus that I'm getting from the people I talk to is it's the fact that he's asking for too much. Kevin Adams thinks he's going to get $10.5 million, 100% healthy Jack Eichel return, when reality is nobody knows how good Jack Eichel is going to be when it comes through all this. That's the problem with Jack Eichel's situation is that he is not 100% Jack Eichel. And we don't know if this operation, if they go for it and it doesn't work, you're not going to get, or if it doesn't work fully, like you may not get ever 100% Jack Eichel ever again. That's the issue, I think, that Buffalo is having. They're asking for too much, and teams are like, we don't know what we're going to get with this guy. All right. Yeah. I, but, again, the, the the GM of the team that's trying to trade him, you just, I mean, it's easy for them. You throw him on long-term IR, and you, it's no scheme off the GM's teeth. If you have a disgruntled superstar, and don't trade him. And that's what Steve Eisman did with Jonathan Drew that everybody applauded. And, you know, he's like, all right, I mean, if this is how it's going to be, this is how it's going to be. That got settled, that got resolved, and then he went out and got himself a top three defenseman in the deal in the long run. So, you know, it's – I feel like the GM is in a position of power in these situations. 
they they do have some, and I and that like, I remember I was talking with Jordan Deshane about this last week. I said to him like, if this happens with him, if he sits out a year, all it does is hurt Eichel more because. Yeah. And I I you can probably remember this too. How good was Eric Lindros after he went to the Rangers? Yeah, well, okay. he was okay. He was not two thousand ninety late nineties big big Eric. The guys that he sits out a year, that's what happens. That's true. I I think sitting. But at some point, then I think Eichel will get the procedure that he needs if it looks like that you're getting into January and nothing's been done. I, I don't know. It is just, it's a mess that needs re- resolution, and we'll just see what happens with it. I'm pretty sure all the Sabres fans right now, it's like, I don't care about the Sabres. Josh Allen for president. It's probably yeah, how that thing, yeah. That's how they're up in Buffalo right now. I don't blame them. Oh, I mean, it's going to snow there in about two weeks, so they probably <laughs> need something to look forward to. Going back up the road a little bit from Buffalo, back into Canada, is the Montreal Canadiens. Now, yes, they have been involved in this massive array of pettiness slash deservance, whatever you want to call it, in this Yesbury Kakniemi saga, which is people thought at first, oh, this is just straight pettiness. And Don Waddell's come out, no, we did not want to get back at the team. Don Waddell, come, no, you're, come on, dude. You, a $20 signing bonus, give me a break. Was that not petty? Right. $6.1 million. You'll thought, oh, they're not going to match this. Well, Montreal chose not to match the deal. Kakniemi goes to Carolina. First and third round picks in next year's draft going to Montreal. They flipped that first round pick and a 2024 pick, I believe, to get Christian Dvorak to come to the, from the Arizona Coyotes. In a weird way, Thomas, I think Montreal is okay because Kakniemi, the way things were shaping up there towards the end being you know, scratched during the playoffs and towards the end of the season, it seemed like that relationship was starting to separate a little bit. So the fact that they lose him and now, you know, Carolina has to do some, well, they were going to have to do some cap finagling, but then Jake Gardner just happened to have a perfectly timed surgery now. So he's going to be on LTIR. Of course. And now they get Christian Dvorak, who was playing on an Arizona team that was not good last year. But when they, in that 1920 season, he really showed that he can be a big time player. That guy just fills up that role that Kakaniemi left. Yeah, and so Montreal's kind of a weird, a weird situation for me. Where you, I, I don't, you know, after a run of the Stanley Cup and a little roster turnover, but not much roster turnover, I really have no idea what to make of them. Um, it, you know, it's a lot of faith in Jonathan Druin. Is he going to come back? Is he not? I mean, what you know, he had this kind of Jonathan Tavesian sort of leave of absence, walk away from the team thing. Is he going to be back? Is he going to play what, you know, is he going to be where he fit into the roster? From what I've heard, he is coming back. But to your point, how is he going to be is the big question. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I, um, you know, you like what you saw from Cole Caulfield. Um, Nick Suzuki's took a step forward. You know, I don't like, I mean, getting back to Kakanimi, I hate giving up on a 21-year-old. <laughs> I just, I hate that. That I mean, that's still a little too young for me to say. Okay, yeah, just walk away. Um, especially considering the fact that it's likely that Shea Weber's headed to long-term IR. Um, if he ever plays again, you know that would have helped the money aspect of it. At the end of the day, I actually like their forward grouping more than most. I think that they have a their first line is a second line, their second line is a second line, and their third line is a second line on most teams in this league. Yeah, I think they have three second lines that can score and can do a lot, but they don't have a like a, a like a perfection line, a really great top line. So it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, can three good lines be as good as maybe a great and a good line. Um, and defensively, you know, Petrie had, 
you know, some early talk was he might have, should have been up for the Norris, but he now he's a year older and he's 33. And, you know, it, he was old when he had this great year. I mean, now you're getting a year older as, you know, Lindstrom got was seemed to be improving until he was 38. So, I mean, it's possible, but I worry about their defense and can Carey Price put together a regular season. It, it's going to be the back end. that's really going to decide how far this team is going to go, if they're going to go anywhere. Because they had such a hot start last year. Carey Price had to get a little banged up. Jake Allen only tried to do so much. And that's another thing, too. Carey Price coming back from surgery. Is he going to be 100%? Supposedly, he's going to be 100% here in a week or so. But we'll have to see how he comes back from injury. He's done it before, obviously. Heck, he just dragged that team to the Stanley Cup Finals. But, you know, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you said it, too. Jake Allen was was good for them. You know, there were people that kind of wanted Jake Allen to, to maybe get the nod the first game of the, the postseason. So, you know, we kind of... I mean, I kind of laughed at that trade. Like, what are you doing going out to get a, a backup that can play, you know? And then it, 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 as the year unfolded, it was a really smart deal to go get Jake Allen. He'll hold down the fort well, but at the end of the day, if you're paying a goalie $10.5 million, you want that goalie to play 55 games and you want him to play them well. Right. And we'll get to the other team that pays way too much for their goaltender here in just a second. But I do want to mention the forward group because you mentioned how good it is. Obviously, defense are trying to fill the hole that Shea Weber left behind with David Savard. It's a different kind of hole. I mean, obviously, Savard's a good defenseman, but not as much of a shot from what I remember. They For Montreal, what they have, like I said, Duran's coming back. That's a big question mark to how he's going to be. Still have Brendan Gallagher. Still have Josh Anderson, who was an absolute heater last year on scoring. They bring in Mike Hoffman, which is, gives you an extra scoring touch. Christian Dvorak, who can play both center and wing. Tyler Toffoli, who just torched the Vancouver Canucks every chance he got. Yoel Armia, Arteri Lekin, who is a great back-end player. Matthew Perot, they get in from Mon- or from Winnipeg. You get some depth down the middle. Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, and, of course, the guy that just seems so pesky is that Notre Dame thing in him, I think it is, Jake Evans. Like this, like you mentioned, three second lines that can all score, but as we saw with Nick Suzuki, my goodness, Nick Suzuki, and so many people are using it. I'm using it as well, and it's painful because we don't want to jinx it as I knock on this table. Very young and, I don't say smaller, but younger version of Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, and, and you know, even even the fourth line, I mean, there's probably going to be some combination of if he gets healthy, you, you'll see Paul Byron down there. Oh, yeah. Um, Perot will be there. Give me Ryan uh, Paling, you gosh darn stinkers. Give- I, yeah, I, I remember him bursting out of the scene and then really nothing. Cedric Paquette's probably going to play some fourth line, is going to be on that fourth line. It, I, I say you know, second line, second line, second line, not to say that they don't have any sort of fourth line to roll out there. It's just the fourth line talent is clearly fourth line talent. And you need that though. Right. That's not a knock. You need that. You have to have that. And so, yeah, I, the forward group is not something to really be concerned about. I I think that they're going to be really good. It's, you know, you have, the problem is, is that they are, yeah, the Kakanemi thing would have, would have hurt the extra 6 million, it would have created issues, but they quickly go and get Dvorak to kind of fill that hole. And, I, I, you know, there is a lot to like about their forward grouping. They are going to be using, like I said, if Byron comes back, listed on LTIR or listed on injury reserve heading into the season, they're using a little almost 7 million LTIR for the cap space. But like I said, that'll obviously change once the season starts, once they actually finalize all that. Um, moving over down south to the Floridian teams, and we're going to jump on the team that has the most overpriced goaltender and their starting goaltender. Uh, let's be honest here. Am I wrong to think that Spencer Knight does not play 35, 40 games this year? Um, I know I would, I would think that that's fair. 
Um, Unless Bob just all of a sudden goes back to Columbus Bobrovsky. That's the only way that doesn't yeah. happen. I, and it makes sense to at least play him 30. I, I've always kind of had it in my head, and I don't even know what I'm basing this on, but I've always kind of had it in my head that you want to have the 52-30 split. Yeah. Your number one should play 52. Um, even if they're all world, I still think that you want to you don't want to overtax your starter because you know in the playoffs they're going to go every other night. So I've always kind of, I, I mean, there's obvious exceptions, Vasilevsky, but I worry. I do worry because at some point that's going to catch up with him. Yeah. But, you know, even if Bobrovsky's old, old Bobrovsky, he's still 32, and you got a 20-year-old that's ready to go. So you might as well go, you know, have a 55, 28, you know, that kind of split in there just so that you can keep your, your, your number one goaltender fresh. But, I mean – Let's face it, Spencer Knight was the best of the three goaltenders in the playoffs. So I, I got to think he's going to see some time. He he was an exceptional goaltender. I remember I used to harp on him all the time when I saw him at BC. I'm like, ah, oh, Spencer Knight, yeah, he's so good. He'll get to the AHL and he'll flounder like all the other college goaltenders that we see. Thatcher Demko is an anomaly, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he wins the first game he plays, and I'm like, yeah. okay, I may yeah. be wrong here. Now, like I said, technically, well, technically he's still a rookie, so you really can't say sophomore slump with with Spencer Knight yet, but it'll be interesting to see how he does. But the forward group in Florida, majorly the same for the most part. They get Carter Verhage for a few more years, and by a few more, I mean a lot more years. They don't have Mike Hoffman this year. I don't know. Was it the fact that they played in this, like it was Central as a competitive division last year, but do you think it's moving back to the Atlantic is going to hurt Florida? Or do you think this is a team that could be in the top three? The problem is, and, and, I, and the, the three teams we haven't talked, I don't know who's coming out of the top three. That's the, that's going to be their problem with going back into the Atlantic now. Yeah. Is who, it's just been so entrenched, Boston, Tampa, Toronto. I, they are great. I love their roster. I love this team. I like the Panthers. I really do. There's, there's not a lot of holes in this lineup. I just... Who are they better than? Are they now better than Boston? That's the one team that I think maybe they're better than Boston now. Huh. That could be the one they have to hope to catch because I'm I'm kind of programmed to thinking the top five are coming out of the Metro. <laughs> That's right. kind of where my head's at. So they, you know, maybe the, the, the thought for them is, is going to be more, okay, can we catch the fifth place Metro team as opposed to the top four in the – in the central they they just seem like i can't see them not making the playoffs i don't know how they scoot in so what is that i don't know what what does that mean they have to be in the top eight to get in but i don't know where they where they fit so what you're saying thomas is you're like me you want to go back to the old school adams norris smite division ways that the top four in each division play each other they try to kill each other for two rounds and then they go play the other team from the other conference the other division that's what you're saying right i mean they then they'd be guaranteed because i i know that they're gonna fit in the top four i i think do you, now we'll get to the other teams here in just a moment. But do you do you have you ever thought when they now that there's 32, there's eight in each division now? Do you think they should ever go to that kind of a setup instead of the wild card that they've had for the last few years? Um, sure. I see. The problem is is that people flip out when or will flip out. They do flip out now in other sports. They will flip out in the future when the fourth the fourth place team in the Atlantic has 70 points and the fourth, the fifth place team in the Metro has 85 points. And that 85 point team is staying home. People flip 
out. They really get upset and go around the bend and stuff like that. And this format prevents that. And I think that that is overall, that's a good thing. Right. And then often that happens, but overall getting the eight best teams more often than not, you are going to make sure that you're getting the eight best teams with, with this scenario. Cause that happened last year. Cause I know Nashville and St. Louis were so far down compared to teams in the North. Well, North, cause then again, the North was people thought it was the worst division hockey, even though they had a representative in the finals. I don't know. The whole thing was weird. Obviously sure. the East was great as well. So there was that, and I get to your point there. So then hear me back with this, Thomas, why don't we go back to the way it was before the realignment? And I e mean only the top two in the two division winners get the bid, the one, two in the fi- in the playoffs, and then have the rest be determined by the rest of the conference. Now that I would be more in favor of that than maybe going back old school four and four and then play it out. Cause then we're going to see six teams from the Metro division, possibly the Toronto bails out. Like I think they may end up doing, it'll be Tampa, Boston, and then the metropolitan division. <laughs> well, but here, here's, here's the thing. If that's the six best teams in the conference, then it's the six best teams in the conference. Exactly. I mean, if that's what it is, it's what it is. It, it's not, it's, it's more telling them that the rest of the division need to, uh, the other division needs to step their, their game up here. If, if six teams are from the other division are that good, then the other, it's more of a, an indictment on them. So I, you know, I would have less of an issue with that. I think I'd rather do the two wild cards. And then my third preference would be the four and four, no matter, and, and just stay in the division completely. Right. Cause I'm trying to think back because back in the day, for those that are too young to remember, before 13-14's realignment, there were six divisions. And the way they did it was they took the top three in each division. So the division winners of the – so it was the Central, Northwest, Pacific, Northeast, Atlantic, Southeast, which yeah. is – because Was- Washington won it. Washington won it every single year except for 07 when Atlanta yeah. <laughs> won the division. And the one year in 2012 when Florida won it. But – like, that's how it used to be, and then you'd have the rest. And there'd be years when the Central, it'd be, like, Detroit, Nashville, Chicago. Did Chicago make it the same year uh, Columbus did? Oh, not, yes, they did. So there was, like, yeah. there would be half the teams in the West would be from the one division because yeah. that's because they were the best. Yeah. Yeah, and then because Detroit, actually, that was their path to the cup was um, Columbus in round one and, and Chicago in the, in the conference finals and yep. Anaheim in between. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it would be, you know, I was going to say, I, I didn't, that's, that's exactly what it was. It was three. And then, but, and then the third, even if you were the third division winner was still guaranteed the third spot, even if somebody had more points than that. I, well, they, that's why I think it's okay if you did the top two, because odds are, the top two will be better than over half of the conference because yeah. the Southeast Conference was awful for a long time. Yeah, Tampa, even when Tampa was winning cups in 04, like after that 04 cup, they took a dip hard. John Graham was their starting goaltender. Kids, that's how bad they were. Yeah, they were. They, yeah. So, uh, you know, again, yes, if you wanted to do that, I think I'd be most in favor of that. And if it ends up being division Metro Division champ, Atlantic Division champ, five Metro teams, and then one more Atlantic team. Then that's what it is. I mean, you're, you're playing everybody again. And I know that that was one of the one of the talks was that, you know, wasn't there a, a scheduling a, a period of time where in, in the scheduling you were only playing the other conference once? Yep. And you flip flop so, years. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was that whole, well, it's not fair if you're playing this. And now that they've gotten more of a balance to the scheduling again, I, I don't know. But again, I 
I'm not, I try not to get, even though in the NHL it matters more than I think any other sport, even though it matters, I usually try not to get too caught up in, well, they, you know, because of this format, this team made it, but if it was, if it was this format, then this team would have made it. Well, it's not that format. Okay. So these are the eight teams. Let's play the playoffs. Yeah. And that's why, well, of course, talk about other sports. Uh, the NFC East last year, the division champions, seven and nine. Heck yeah. yeah. But yeah. And, 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 you know, how many, you know, in eight, 10 match or how many eight seeds have won an NBA playoff series? I mean, it's just, it's, I, you know, I remember Denver those, Nuggets beat Sean Kemp and the Sonics one year. I remember that. And that's the one that everybody points to, and then they can't think of another. So, because that's lit. Well, then again, the NBA, I, there's a lot less parody. I would yes. say, and whereas hockey is, hey, how the Nashville, Nashville Predators were such a great team in 2017. They were an eight seed. Well, they were, excuse me, they were the second wild cards team. They were yeah. the worst team in all the playoffs. 2012 LA Kings, they were the eight seed, but they yeah. were so hot. They literally beat everybody. And I mean, literally beat everybody. They're so physical. Um, yeah. Let's get back to get Tampa. And I say to myself, who's going to beat them in the playoffs? Because Colorado, people think, oh, Colorado, Colorado, Colorado. I'm like, I have not seen them improve in any of their weaknesses that they have. So I don't know about Colorado. Vegas, no. They're they're just showing that more and more that they are in aptitude to try to figure out that center position. If Chandler Stevenson is your first line center, guys, you have a problem. I don't see any other team challenging Tampa in in the league. And and I'm serious. Like, even Boston, as good as they can be, I'm like, Tampa's still better. Toronto, Toronto could skate with Tampa. But in a seven-game series, here's here's what I what I what I'm why I'm not just going to anoint Tampa yet. And, and there's a couple of there's there are a couple of reasons. One is, you know, the one thing that Steve Eisman didn't get done for them that did get done um, by by current uh, GM uh, Julian Brisbo was that they the third line. Tampa didn't win the Stanley Cup until the trades that brought in Coleman and Goudreau. Coleman from from New Jersey, Goudreau from San Jose. They got they paired them with Yanni Gord, and they won two Stanley Cups. Yep. You know Steve Eisman got them. You know good and you know via injuries or whatever the reason was the deal didn't get finished until those two trade deadline acquisitions, and now that whole line is gone. That whole yep. line is gone. Gord's in Seattle. Uh, Coleman is in what Calgary Goudreau is in New York, um, New York. Thank you. Six years by literally nothing. <laughs> three by yeah. th- six by three. I think it is. Um, now they replace it. I, I think the expectation is Rolf Colton will be in that mix. Pat Maroon, um, Pierre, yeah. Mark, Corey Perry. There's going to be a whole lot of bodies in that second for the third and fourth line. So they're, but they do have to fix it. That's a big loss. That third line was the best third line in hockey. They could they could shut you down. They could run you through the wall, and they can score timely goals. Can they still get by without that? The other thing that I it's I really in my heart of hearts feels all the hockey in this compressed time will have to catch up with them at some point. Oh well, yeah, you of know, course. They, they played the bubble playoffs in July of last year. They play the 56 games at another 25 playoff games this this year that they finish in July. And now they're going to be starting in September. At some point, you feel like that's going to have to catch up with them, and they're just going to run out of gas at some point. Well, the, the great story that Gretzky likes to say is after they lost in 83 to the Islanders, when they were swept by the Islanders in the finals, 
at Nassau, the old, they still stand in Nassau, used to have to walk by the Islanders' dressing room. They were not celebrating by the time the Oilers were leaving the rink. They were literally in their stalls, ice packs, heat bags, exhausted. This was during the run that the Islanders have set the record for most consecutive playoff series victories, which I guarantee you, even as good as this Tampa team is, they will not reach it. They went four, they won four straight Stanley Cups and made it three more rounds in 84 before finally losing to Edmonton in 85. Be like, oh my gosh, Edmonton whooped them that year in five games. Yeah, you go in ahead and go 15, or excuse me, 15 straight, no, excuse me, 19 straight playoff series wins, go into your 20th and expect to do great. Like it's, it's so hard. And that's, that. yes, that is old school hockey. Yes, it was hook and grab and death with hockey sticks. But even today, you, the fact that they're able to win back-to-back cups, the fact that Pittsburgh did it a few years ago, like it's so hard to do it nowadays because the game is so different. If they run out of steam, you're right, Thomas, I would not be shocked. Just right now, like who do you think is an actual threat to the Tampa Bay Lightning? Even today, before obviously missing the third line and everything, I don't see a team that can compete with them, at least today. In the division, definitely not. Um, you're... What Vegas did to Colorado was kind of shocking last year. Yeah. Um, that You're right. I, I I couldn't, I don't think a lot of people could believe, you know, Colorado blitzed them in game one. And then after that, Vegas didn't look back. And it was, it was just shocking. I mean, I know they lost game two, but I still, I mean, they were right there that game. And then they, they, so I would, again, I guess, <laughs> If I was a betting man, yeah, I guess I probably still at the end of the day would, if I had to put a hundred dollars on the team to win the Stanley Cup today, I probably would do it on, I'd put it on Tampa, but my gut tells me they won't do it. I don't know who's going to beat them though. Does that, does that make any sense? That makes sense. They're not going to win, but whoever beats them, we can't pick that. Yes, exactly. Like I'm going to bet them until they lose. And I think they're going to lose. I can't tell you who's going to beat them though. The Ottawa Senators. <laughs> I know, right? I don't see a first-round knockout. That's for sure. I don't see that being the case. You're right, but, because Ottawa's going to win the division. Tampa's going to finish third. They won't play each other until the second round. Exactly. Right, let's stop that right now. But <laughs> the fact that they kept their top four, f- those top two lines, top five defensemen, and Vasilevsky, I mean, that <laughs> hell, if they, if they had to roll with just those, what, six, you know, 12 players, they'd probably win 30 games in a year. That's how good that that grouping is. So. Jeez. Yeah, I mean they're they're gonna they're gonna be good. I just and I if I had to bet a team today, I'd bet Tampa. But my gut tells me they're not winning the Stanley Cup again this year. Colorado is the epitome of the. I say now just because the the comparisons are so eerily similar between the two. Colorado is what Tampa was five years ago. I, that's a that's a very good count. McKinnon is is Stamkos. Landeskogas Kucherov, even though they're not the same nationality. Like the similarity is so much there. The goaltending was always like, hey, we have a good goaltender, but not that good of a goaltender. I don't not know. And I and I feel like they're still looking for the for the great. I love Darcy. I've loved Darcy since he was in Minnesota. He'll do great. There'll be a good team around him. I don't think he's Vasilevsky good yet, and I don't think he ever will. No offense to him. He's a little bit getting a little bit older, but Colorado will be there. I just don't know what they have to do to get there. Well, and and you know, you mentioned it, it's tough to, to win back to back. I don't and again, I you're you're gonna remember because you're you're such a better mind than I am with, with this stuff. But sure, Pittsburgh hasn't won a won a series since. No, they won. They got knocked out in the second round in in uh, eighteen. That wasn't the Rangers. 
we've been 18? No, they, no, they, that was when, no, because remember they, Pittsburgh and Washington met in the second round. That was the Kuznetsov yes. game winner. Yeah, that's when they get, yeah. So they won one series, but you're right. Since then, because they got swept by the Islanders last yeah. year, they didn't even make it technically in 2020. They got beat by Montreal in the qualifying round, and yeah. then they got beat by the Islanders in the first round this year. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So they've won one series since their back-to-back playoff win, or back-to-back up finals. Well, they don't have Phil Castle anymore. That's why. Yeah, well, there's an argument to be made, right? But it, and it, it is incredibly tough, and the Stanley Cup is still – I don't care what anyone says, and – and I, I still remember the the comments when a, the ESPN announced that they were bringing back the NHL. Oh, tell me when it's a real sport. And I'm like, I'm going to stay quiet here because I've done this for years of trying to defend the sport. The Stanley Cup's the hardest trophy to win. I'm not going to let it's. I don't care. Baseball's 162 games a year. Yeah, I can play 162 games if I get to stand at first base. I mean, I, mean, I, yeah, right. I don't, I don't want to imply that baseball players aren't athletes because that's no. That's, but it's, no. I mean, it's a, it's just a different pace. It's a different game yeah. and it's a different mental trial. And some of the things that baseball does like a one game playoff after 162 games is ridiculous, but, and it, it's hard, it's a hard trophy to win, but I, it's I, all the playoffs. I mean, you yeah. four rounds of basketball, that's not easy. And just the physical toll that football is as a whole is not easy, but hockey's all of that. On ice. Exactly. It's all that you have guys with wooden clubs and metal and steel knives on their skates. Uh As Brennan Shannon says, it's, it's different. It's hard. And if Tampa does it again, I'm not going to be shocked. Uh, Just a few more minutes here today on this special Labor Day edition of the Kula show. We're talking with Thomas Biondo, good friend of the show, Thomas Biondo. Um, So the last team we have to talk about here is Boston, right? We talked about everyone else, right? That's it, right? Is Boston? On Toronto with the, with, the, with the Matthews thing. I, we can go a little bit more with Toronto. I don't know how much you want to do that, but well, we have not brought up the Bruins, to be sure. I let, Let's cap it off with the Bruins here, because the, the Leafs, all it does make me say, I'm like, as I mentioned with when we had Rachel Anderson on, I'm like, I would love to have gotten a pass to the prospects tournament this year just in case Kyle Dubas happened to show up in Traverse City, just so I could have a, for five minutes, a two-minute interview for the show and three minutes of me questioning everything he's ever done. And that's why I'm not going to Traverse City, kids. No, uh, Boston here. I, I, Boston is big of a, a coin flip as Toronto, but the difference is is that between Toronto and Boston is Toronto just they just can't seem to get it done in the playoffs. Boston's just getting older. Yeah, they have a di- they have a different outlook though. Tuka Rask is this big fat question mark, but they have Martin Jones back. There is still the perfection line. They still have Taylor Hall. They bring in Nick Foligno, so there's going to be this grit on this team that Boston's always had. But is it going to be good enough to make a run in these playoffs? Um, it's Linus Allmark is going to be their net miner. I, Martin Jones is Martin Jones in Philly. Oh Sorry. shoot, yeah, that's right. I got to mix up. Sorry, Linus Allmark. You're right. I was thinking okay. of yeah. All you're right. correct. Um, just I just want to make sure you're so. What what Boston is to me is, and I like that they kept Taylor Hall around. That really adds second line punch, um, and for a good contract as well compared to what yeah. he's getting paid. True, true. And the the interesting is who's going to fill David Krejci's shoes. Um, you know, I heard some some thoughts from from some some of the beat writers in Boston that that he it, it had begun to get a little bit noticeable that he had lost a step. So now I think that that role is going to be first attempted by Charlie Coyle slash Craig Smith. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Craig Smith is your well, Craig. Yeah, Craig Smith has it. I don't know if he could. He always seemed like he was a see. It always seemed like he was a support player though in Nashville, whereas Craig seemed like he could lead a line just yes. in, just with less of a spotlight. Is best way to describe it. 
I mean, you're exact. Yeah, I know. I agree with that. And it's just, you know, Taylor Hall is going to be on the second line, but who else do you know is going to be on the second line and with the potential to be successful? Is it going to be Smith? Is it going to be Coyle? Could DeBrusque finally come through? Is Eric Holla going to get top line? I mean, that's, to me, that's the biggest concern. The third line is going to work itself out with whoever doesn't end up on the second line. And they always have grinders. And Curtis Lazar and Carlson Coleman is going to come up. Trent Frederick, Chris Wagner. There, there's a Thomas Nosek. There's a good fourth line there. The only thing, the other thing that I really worry about with, with Boston is we know Charlie McAvoy's good. I, yeah. I don't think that anybody's doubting that. Probably one of the best defensemen under the age of 25 in this league. But is Brandon Carlo going to be healthy? And is he a true number two defenseman? Even though he signed for six more years. And Mark Mike Riley. And I let that go because you're right. You know, I like the resending of Mike Riley. And Mike Riley looks kind of surprisingly good. I think better than most people expected him to be in the postseason. Right. I mean, it feels like it's, again, kind of like how we talked about how it's, you know, the, they have the perfection line and everybody else. It's like they have McAvoy and everybody else. It's right. like, how good is Carlo going to be? How good is Grizzly? You know, what is Derek Forbot going to bring in? Um, where's Mike Riley going to fit in? How good is Connor Clifton? Like, I feel like there's a lot of question marks with that decor. And yeah, McAvoy is only 23, so he can play 28 minutes a night if he needs needs to. And I kind of get the gut feeling he is going to need to for this team to be successful. And yeah, at 23, that's he can probably get away with it. But I also worry that if he misses a stretch of 10 games, does this team have enough defensively to survive it? That that is a very good point. I think that's the biggest. Thing. Obviously, Linus Allmark may be a question mark, and yeah, I, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, this is like the, and this is gonna maybe make Boston fans go crazy, is when Andy Moog left to Dallas, and they had John Blue as one of their starting goaltenders, and Blaine Blaine like was it Locker? Blaine Locker was their two goaltenders, like I'm like that. Yeah. They and they went, and the team that was the the group that ended up getting Ray Bork traded to Colorado because that's yeah. how bad they went. And yeah, you're right. But I, I still think this is a team then, Boston, that could finish in the top three with all those question marks. Sure. Just the way this division is shaping up. I mean, when you have something called a perfection line, you're going to be good, okay? And and it's not like it's a made-up ha-ha thing. I mean, they rightly are. I would still take them as my as the best line in hockey. I, yeah. I, you, know, you want it, Kucherov and Point and, and whoever's going to be playing the right side with them, that is a fair, you can come at me with it. But in, in Point and Kucherov are very, you know, Point is actually a very good defender. But if 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 you're talking all situations, all scenarios, I want Bergeron, pa- Pasternak, and Marchand. I just do. Marchand remarkably seems to be getting better. I don't know. How, you know, it's kind of an anomaly. He had his best year last year, and he's 33 now. Exactly. Pasternak, I, you just, if he's playing 80, he's scoring 40. And, he, and Bergeron yeah. is, is, they might rename the Selkie form by the time this is over. So, I mean... As long as if they if you're going to tell me that they're all going to play at least 65 to 70 games and McAvoy is too, this team's probably going to be in the top three and probably even in the top two of that division. It, it they're going to be still good. And I, I as you keep saying the perfection line, I the only thing I can think of is the story of the three musketeers: Athos, Porthos, Aramis. No matter how old they get, they can still overthrow the cardinal. They can be 70 years old; they still get the job done. And all they need is a D'Artagnan. That's all they need, just to get yeah. over the hump. So there you go. Who is that D'Artagnan? It ain't Charlie McAvoy because D'Artagnan never had a punchable-looking face, if you ask me. <laughs> okay. yeah, and you know what? I say this. Here we go, Thomas. I'm boss. I'm busting up Don Sweeney here. Tory Krug was their D'Artagnan. Just saying, kids. Yeah, Just well. saying. 
And now he's being wasted away in St. Louis, but that's neither here nor there. All right. <laughs> who Who is your pick, Thomas, to come out of this division on top? Let's be honest here, because I, I gave my piece. It's hard not to go against Tampa. But then again, Tampa's not a regular season team anymore. They don't, right. they realize, and we saw that last year, third in the Central. They're going to be a cakewalk for Florida. And then they bring back Kucherov and they do the whole thing again. Yeah. Now, bothers me a little bit. I mean, they they made it a joke, but I mean, let's face it, they were, I mean, they played the, the play, playoffs about eight, 19 million over the cap. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. You can make fun of it all you want, but if there was a cap in the playoffs, that team wouldn't be together. But that's, that is neither here nor there at this point. They got it worked out. But now, but now Carolina is a team that's 18 over the cap because because yeah. they got Kakanami. But yeah, so who do you think? I mean, is, is it Boston with this old GOAT group that's just going to will them and drag this wagon towards the top of the division or is it one of the younger kids like i said i don't ex- i don't expect it but i don't have anybody that's going to beat them so until they lose i think it's going to be tampa i i actually still think it's going to be tampa boston and toronto boston uh, and toronto may switch but i still think that that's the one two three and i think florida is going to be four just watch florida just win all four games against toronto this year and that's going to be like the one point difference yeah. between toronto uh, i i still say this and this is, yes, I do have my lovely Leafs smug. I have a Leafs poster over there. I have a Leafs banner right over here. I love going to Toronto. Toronto needs to get, not, Toronto can't make the playoffs if they want to get better. They like, something needs to happen. I thought that loss to Columbus would have completely rejuvenated them, and it looked like it did, but clearly something's still missing there. I'm like, they need to miss the playoffs, no postseason hockey outright, if they want to find a way to really throw a jolt into this franchise. But then again, they could easily win next year. I don't know. This team, this team is just like that. They could easily either win it all or miss the playoffs. That's where my my expectations for this team is. I I know. I mean, I know you don't want to hear it. I still. I think that they're going to break through. I really do. Yeah. Um, well, of course. But it's win. <laughs> right. And it, and it's and it's easy. It's easy for somebody who's not a fan to say it because you become so jaded and hard to believe. But I still think there's just too much talent up front. I mean, it's not like Montreal ran them out of town let's face it it was 3-1 montreal won two overtime games where toronto had to come back in both of them true but let's face it they were still one shot away from the second round exactly so i mean it's not like they (laughs) and i know it doesn't help but then when you see the success that montreal had maybe you think montreal was a little bit better because they ended up you know making the run to the finals i still think i i I don't think they improved the goaltending no, they didn't. They, well, they, I mean, they, I, I do I do love Jack Campbell. I think he did really good. I think he could be a starting goaltender. It's, does it look to be the eye of everyone else? Probably not. But if he plays like he did last year, then yes, of course. It's easy to say. If Peter Morazic comes in and did what he did out in Carolina, perfect. You have a great goaltending duo. But, it, but you, those are all just words right now. You, you, you feel as good about that as you did about Freddie Anderson, right? If and but and canny and... Uh, I mean, that's kind of the same will go for them. And that's, I feel like that, and I, I still think they need a full, full-fledged number one, this is without a doubt our 28-minute-a-guy defenseman. I think either one, if they could get that goalie or that defenseman, I would feel so much better saying this team would go far. But, and this isn't a knock on Muzzin, Riley, Brody, Hall, and and, and that, that whole grouping. I just, I, you know, if, this just in everybody would be better if they had a number one defenseman. But I feel like that is the one thing that until that happens, it's they are going to have a bit of a question mark to them. As much as I love Morgan Riley, I, 
it's gonna because he's he probably could make seven or eight million next year because this is his last year of his contract. Nobody get theories. I don't want to pay that right now. But then again, once again, it's because you have three guys over ten million over the cap that you can't afford that. That's the reason why that you're gonna. I mean, that's I don't know if that's the reason why we couldn't keep Joe Thornton. I just don't. Maybe Joe just didn't have a good time because he got exactly the same amount of money. Yeah. I. It's so. It's it's. It's tough. I, I, I say this to people because, and it's like I tell people, being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan is just like being a Michigan Wolverines football fan. You think they're going to be good, but even though there are glaring holes that will show you that they're not. Every year. Like, you think that they're going to be a contender for something, and they just they find a way to poop it. Well, let, let's face it. I mean, going into the playoffs last year, going into that game against Ottawa, or going into that series against Montreal, did you think that they were going to beat them? Yes, but Kyle Bacoskis put the seed of doubt in me, and I put the seed of doubt in myself as well, but just knowing that Carey Price was their goaltender, I'm like, this could easily go south for Toronto. And guess what, kids? We were right! Well, but eventually, the the Red Wings were never going to win it until they did. Until 500 Mike Vernon came in and was the right. Smythe trophy winning Mike Vernon. And and what if it's Peter Morazic that is that guy this year? I mean, I and, and again, I'm in no. You're putting me in a very uncomfortable position by having to say nice things about Toronto as a as a Detroiter. But at the end of the day, I still feel like that that is something that they they're never going to win it until they do. Well, at least those Wings teams at least one round, Thomas. That's the thing. They That's at least true. made it to the finals yeah. in '95. They made it to the conference finals when they had 62 wins. They, Toronto hasn't won a single playoff series since the the Bush administration. And if they lose to Tampa Bay in the conference finals, then you're going to be thinking, okay, let's just add now and not tear it down. Let's find, you know, let's tweak and go with this roster again. And that's what I'm saying is that they are just, they are that one breakthrough playoffs. Whether whether it's win the Stanley Cup or not, they are a breakthrough playoffs away from now. Like, ooh, okay, now let's just tweak, let's just tweak, let's just tweak, as opposed to do we blow it up? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? You're going to get into that okay, let's tweak mindset, and that's a better place to be because you know your team can do it. Well, if, and that's why I tell people if they beat Montreal last year, first of all, Mark Bergevin gets fired, Carey Price probably gets exposed to Seattle, and also the fact that you know even if they lose to Winnipeg, no one's panicking in Toronto as much. Like, all right, at least they won a series this time; they could do better, yeah. but at least it's. There's hope. Now it's like this team cannot do anything right. Like this, like it's, I want to say the San Jose Sharks in the early 2000s, but at least the Sharks won the first round back in those days. They're, they're going to get around, Ty, I promise you. Well, okay. What's going to happen first, Thomas? I want you to be 100% honest with me. Do the Leafs win the Stanley Cup first or does Michigan football win a national championship first? Stanley Cup. So you didn't just say around, you said the Stanley Cup. No, yeah. The, who wins? Does the Leafs win? Who holds the big trophy at the end first? Michigan football or the Toronto Maple Leafs? I probably, honestly, I, I, you don't I, need to be nice, to me, Thomas. I think it. I, I think it's Toronto because right now I think everybody's playing for second behind Nick Saban, and yeah. I, I'm not going to. I mean, he. I think he's going to be. The, he could be there for another seven to eight years, and I think it's it's conceivable that Toronto does win a cup in the next seven to eight years. Oh, they've been saying that since 67, Thomas. I know, I know, I know. But we haven't been saying that Michigan should be weighing in the national champion since 1997. So I guess based on that, I'm going to go Toronto. Yeah. I said what I said. I still, well, you still give me, when you mentioned 06 earlier, you gave gave me horrible flashbacks of of Troy Smith and, ah, the stupid rep in the passer. 
I know. I know. Ah! It was actually, it wasn't a roughing. It was a late hit out of bounds is what it was. Whatever. He hit the it guy was, when he shouldn't have. Right. That's that's exactly what it was. It, 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 was, it, it was at the shoe and everything. Like, you would have won. This was a pleasure. You enjoy the rest of your holiday. Ah! I know you don't. Thomas, thank you very much for stopping by again. And, of course, folks, if you want to watch this episode in full, check out the Cule Show replay on demand later. I am exhausted. I am tired. I need more another cup of coffee because I got to go to a family barbecue after this, Thomas. Well, you have fun with that. It's a great day for a barbecue. It's a great day for a barbecue. It's not too hot. It's like, I think, like, I think it finally hit 70 here in West Michigan. I don't know how it is over there, but. About the same, actually. 74, 75 right now. uh, It may be okay. I'll have, some, yes. I'll have some burgers, feel awful about myself, and then go to sleep. At 8 day. o'clock. You'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. Who needs to watch Monday Night Sports anymore? <sighs> Folks, we will see you all next time on The Kill Show. Next Monday, we have a big guest, guys. You want to tune in next week. We'll be back at 11 o'clock next Monday. Thank you once again for watching us on The Kill Show. Goodbye!